Presenting for the first time in radio, the amazing interplanetary adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> so, anybody want to briefly describe today's topic with a little bit of excitement? We are talking about Blade Runner 2049. Oh, he said a little bit of excitement. <laughs> just a li- I know what? I felt a little bit of excitement. <laughs> just a little bit. That's my super excited voice, just gotcha. so you guys know. Gotcha. We are talking about Blade Runner, original and new. Uh, we were originally going to do this last week and start off October with a horror month, but with taking a break, we're, we're approaching it this week. So Blade Runner 2049 is actually coming out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty awesome. I can't wait to see it. Have either of you guys seen it yet? Nope. Not yet. I'm going to see it tomorrow, probably. Do you guys have plans to see it? I have plans with some friends, but... Josh, I might go with you. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. I am really excited. No, I I am so just stupid excited about this film. The only thing that has me a little bit um, less than thrilled is that it's two hours and 45 minutes from what I've heard. (laughs) Whoa. So you've got to really, really be awake for this. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, man, I can't wait though. I'm, I'm ready to strap in. I want to see it on the biggest screen possible. You know, go to the Warren. What, what are you thinking? Yeah. What are you thinking, Eric? I kind of want to do director's suite. Oh, that's you know, a I, I read too. some reviews and I was like, all right, this is worth it. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, we'll go into this a little bit later, I'm sure. But uh, if anything, I'm sure Blade Runner has done well with a bit of the Hollywood treatment, maybe making. Uh, the new one a bit more exciting than the original, but <laughs> are anyway. You, uh, are, oh, you dare, hey. are you dare insinuating that the original was hard to watch? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> it had its moments, but yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's kind of dry. <laughs> well, no. It's, what? <laughs> I, I will say this, and I say this of a lot of movies, that it was an amazing movie, but it's not a good movie to watch if you're tired. <laughs> That's very, that's a good, I mean, honestly, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, Eric, you had an objection. What are you thinking, man? Uh, I don't know. It's just one of my favorite movies. That's all, you know. <laughs> that's all. I'm just that, leaving that's it. That's all. I'm just leaving it. That's before, all. You're just killing my baby yeah. in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Hurting me physically. All right. Before we dive in to the new Blade Runner and the old Blade Runner, and frankly, Legacy for that matter, uh, let's do some weekly news. Uh, this is going to cover two weeks. As I said, we took a week off. So I'll go ahead and start us out. Um, I kind of picked through the uh, the weeds of movie news. There's not a whole lot going on, but uh, I think I found some couple of things. So for the first thing I jotted down, Bruce Willis dot 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 is officially back for the Die Hard series in Die Hard Part 6. Um uh, guys, why do they keep making these? Um, it's it's going to be a, a year one. So not only a Die Hard 6, it's going to be an origin story. I was just talking to my friends about this the other day and telling them how there's a lot of films that feel like the character is this epic, almost godlike person who needs <laughs> to have more stories told of it's him. It's unstoppable. Yeah. But Bruce Willis was not that character in <laughs> Die Hard 1. 
<laughs> not at all. Well, I mean, it's the classic thing of what in the first movie he his feet are cut and he can barely walk, and in the fourth mm, movie he's yeah. blowing up a helicopter he, with a car. He was, yeah. so, <laughs> he was supposed to be like a vulnerable guy, you know, just this yeah, average right, Joe cop, right? And he's this indestructible killing machine. Yes. I um, cannot blame Bruce Willis for coming back for more. I am sure they are <laughs> a blast. Film. And you know, it's so he he has a lot of. I, I won't go into kind of Hollywood rumors, but apparently. And long story short, he's hard to work with. So, really? but apparently, really? yeah, he's hard to work with. But apparently, the money's right; he'll be there. So, <laughs> they're having yeah. Bruce Willis as an older version of John McClane, and they haven't cast him yet, but a younger version of John McClane mm, in really, year one. Really quick, what was the last one that came out? Uh, I believe it was. Was it a Good Day to Die Hard? Yeah, the one where they tried to set up a young version of Bruce Willis. Oh, through his son, right? Yeah. It was through. It was Jai Courtney, yeah. the guy who played Boomerang in Suicide Squad. And it went <laughs> oh about as well as the attempt to make Shia LaBeouf the new Indiana Jones. <laughs> Which they are excluding from the next one, yes. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they have just backtracked on that uh, attempted uh, tradition. The attempted tradition, yeah. Did they ever succeed on that with any movies? Um, uh, I can't think of any. I can't think it off the top of my head. I'm sure there's one. took the reins and got a good sequel. <laughs> I get the gear. Can you think of any? No. Yeah, I can't no, either. I'm sure there are some out there, but I can't think of it at the moment. So long story short, Die Hard 6, the movie we all need. See you guys in the theaters. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what do we got next on the list? Well, I guess Will Smith is officially not returning to Men in Black. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, I guess there's a sequel, uh, and it's going to be crossed with 21 Jump, Jump Street. And Wait, Willing what? <laughs> yeah. Like style-wise, or is this a crossover? Oh, no. It's a straight cross. What? It was in a Sony leaked email <laughs> that they are planning a crossover <laughs> of 21 Jump Street and Men in Black and for the further <clears throat> range. It will have Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. So, what? <laughs> Who said this was a good idea? You know, it honestly might be a beautiful disaster. It I'm might. waiting. I, I mean, I'll, I'm not going to lie. I'll probably go see it. I love 21 Jump Street and 22. I think they're hilarious. I thought they were hilarious, too, but I thought 22 Jump Street killed all the future sequels <laughs> of it. Yeah, I, I guess. Where do you go from here? What about space? <laughs> yeah, know. I guess so. So, Will Smith, um, I understandably, is probably not coming back for reasons I would imagine maybe a turn in the series but uh yeah he's not coming back uh do you guys have anything else you want to comment on that they gotta have that star power will smith's gone so they gotta have jonah hill i mean i, I haven't seen will smith in anything super blockbustery in a while no, suicide squad right that's the oh, last you're right. suicide yeah. squad he was in I try a, to forget about that yeah me too <laughs> he was in that film uh what is that film called that was about the concussions in the nfl that they tried to really push for an oscar nom mm. it was uh was it just called concussion? i think it was called concussion yeah, yeah. tell the truth like that one yeah <laughs> it was really it was just yeah they really i don't know if you guys remember this but they really pushed for a Oscar nomination and it didn't go anywhere and then there's a whole drama I won't get into it that went with that yeah long story short you're right Will Smith's not really been in a whole lot Woo. oh I will say though before we leave this topic he is cast officially as Genie in the live action <coughs> Aladdin film Guy Ritchie's Aladdin film so uh -huh. that's kind of interesting what but with these weird casts I don't know these man. are so strange like I don't know and even if he's awesome it's going to be hard to measure up to Robin Williams so that's just my yeah. thought at least but uh, but well, all right, Josh, what do we got next on the list? Okay, well, next up, um, we have Hollywood's darling James Cameron <laughs> coming back with a sequel to his Avatar film. <laughs> It'll be start starting to film with a $1 billion budget, and it already has four sequels 
scheduled. So oh is that is that gosh. a billion with a B? That's a billion with a B. Oh my gosh! I mean, the first one made that much, right? So like, <laughs> right. that was also back when 3D was relevant. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Do they need this? Huh? Do they need this many movies? Um, Avatar. He said he's gone on record saying he wants to finish his career with Avatar. Uh. Well, what, what other stories five do you films of it? Yeah, yeah. What other stories do you have to tell? The first one was Pocahontas. Like it literally was Pocahontas. Have you guys ever seen that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was dances like, with bulls. Pocahontas. Yeah, I mean, exactly. how many more ways can you say we are screwing up our environment? <laughs> 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 aliens, we need blue, blue aliens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, um, something that might make it worth existing is the fact that Kate Winslet has joined the cast. <laughs> Kate Winslet, <of> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Sorry. No, no, you're, you're good. It's, you're good. No, and I mean, she's an Oscar winner. I think she uh, won it for the reader. I think I mm. could be completely wrong, but. Um, Hopefully she'll bring something to the table. I, man, yeah. What? Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And let's see. Next on the list is gonna be last for our news. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein was pulled from Universal's schedule for the following two years for uh, poor reasons stating the poor uh, box office performance from the Mummy starring Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, <sighs> Did you guys even see this movie? No. Uh, no, no, but I know they were really, really trying hard in that movie to set up this cinematic universe of monster creatures, yeah. like old school monster creatures. Uh, and they just, they pushed too hard and people were just like, we really don't want that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the, it's the so, so-called dark universe and they still have it slated. They're still making movies for it. Wow. Does but, it have anything to do with the Brandon Fraser mummy movies? That this mummy movie? Yeah, oh. I've been told no. Oh, okay. I've been Not told really it's a straight reboot. That's what I reboot. assumed. Yeah, no, I've been told it's a straight reboot. Interesting. Um, but the Bride of Frankenstein, it was supposed to star Javier Bardem as Frankenstein's monster and uh, rumored Angelina Jolie as the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, but they they pulled it, so I think they're pulling the plug. They realize I don't even have the numbers in front of me, but I know the mummy did not perform at the box no. office. So, well, there's a good decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so uh, yeah, hopefully they take a lesson from it, but they still have the dark universe planned. I do know they set up. Uh, Oh, uh, oh man! Uh, Russell Crowe. Wow, I blanked on his name. Russell Crowe is going to be uh, Doctor Jekyll, like Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Really? And also, they're setting up. They still have Johnny Depp. This is confirmed. They still have Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man. So it's like, are they, they're kind of pulling out the, the old fogies yeah. <laughs> for these for these roles? Uh, so, so we'll we'll see about that. But as for now, the Dark Universe continues on without Bride of Frankenstein. All right, so. Today, very special day, October 6th, I didn't say that in the beginning, 2017, Blade Runner 2049 is officially in theaters. Guys, I've been waiting, I feel like, months, if years, for this. How excited are you? Very excited. I love Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> he's, oh, he's so incredible. awesome. He, he's incredible, and when his name was attached to it, I just mm-hmm. my jaw yeah. almost hit the floor. Yeah. Did you guys see Arrival? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, so good. It was that, so good. Hearing that the guy behind Arrival was behind this movie yeah. made me not worried at all. Yeah, what I like even more was Sicario. Oh, yeah, Sicario. I have yet to see it. Really introduced me to him and mm-hmm. just got me really hyped on this director. Sure, and for those who don't know, if you should check it out, Sicario, that's starring Emily Blunt, and that is an... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a tale about a, uh, is she a DEA agent that gets sent down into the mafia cartel? I believe she's or a to, mm-hmm. to to pursue it. And they have a Sicario, which is, I believe, Spanish for hitman, um, oh. that they uh, played um, by, by Benicio Del Toro that's down with them. And, and, and Josh Brolin's in it as well. 
best uh, Benicio del Toro performance ever. I'm serious. Oh, by far. I yeah. mean, he's menacing, he's intimidating, but he's um, also quiet throughout yeah. the whole entire film. Awesome. And also has one of the best like eight-minute suspense sequence filmings of all time, <laughs> whereas the uh, shooting on the, oh, the highway. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Oh, yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, you can find video essays. I've, c- I've come across multiple video essays about this scene, about yeah. about how you film suspense, so you, sh- you should check it out. But, yeah, Blade Runner 2049, um, starring, just a little bit of info, starring Ryan Gosling, for those unaware, as the letter K. That's all we have of a name for him. It's just <laughs> K. It's, it's not Agent K like Men in Black. It's K. So we got we got Ryan Gosling, uh, Anna de Armas as Joy. Um, I'm just calling it right now. I think she – I don't want to ruin it for myself, but I think she is an, a – replicant i think she's an android um if you guys are familiar with the blade runner story we'll talk about that more in a second and also a reprisal of harrison ford as deckard um josh anything you wanted to add as far as your excitement or your thoughts for this new movie before we dive into it well i am very excited and really the only thing that made me nervous about it is i don't necessarily like old harrison ford as much as uh some other people may like him um (laughs) It might just be because of his reprisal of Indiana Jones that really ruined him for me in the recent <laughs> years, but he always just seems really grumpy about filming now. Oh, sure. Well, and he's gone on record in, in, in interviews, and I actually wrote this in our notes, but he, he said the only role that he actually wished, wished, wished to reprise was Deckard. He, he mm-hmm. didn't like Han Solo. He didn't, you know, he didn't like all these other roles that made him famous, but he wanted to do Deckard again. Yeah, seeing him uh, as Han Solo again really made me concerned about this cast because, I don't know, I just, yeah, I just can't can't handle the old man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the can't old man him. grumpy. Like, he, watching him run just makes me sad. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> just makes you sad. <laughs> all right, well, moving on. We got a synopsis for those unaware uh, for the movie Blade Runner 2049. A young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down a former Blade Runner, Rick, Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. That's taken from IMDb. Mm-hmm. All right, before we actually get into it, I did want to give some background for those unaware, because none of us were alive when this first movie came out. Um, 1982, Blade Runner, based off a book, uh, Philip K. Dick. Uh, Blade Runner, what is it? It's a little bit of background. It's based off a novel called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Like I said, written by Philip K. Dick, published in 1968. Um Needless to say, kind of well before its time. I, yeah. uh, we kind of briefly talked about this for the show, and I'm sure Eric will get into it more later. But Eric, um, cyberpunk. I mean, this was near the birth of it. What do, what do you how, briefly? How, how do you think it contributed to it? We'll talk about more about it later. Well, I think it really set the uh, visual aesthetics for cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. That neon, you know, the neon lights and a like really gritty, like old multicultural like metropolis, mm-hmm. and uh, that like. It has that noir aspect to it that I really they think that uh, Blade Runner set in stone for other cyberpunk films. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's it pe- multiple people have gone on record saying it is the first quote-unquote modern sci-fi film, a combination of film noir and, and the old you know sci-fi of the '50s. So uh, yeah. it's incredibly influential. Um, just kind of looking through our notes, uh, just a little bit more some background. The original Blade Runner, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, released on June twenty fifth, nineteen eighty two. Uh, starring Harrison Ford as Deckard, Rutgerd Hayer as Roy Batty, the uh, replicant, and also Sean Young as Rachel, the replicant as well. Sorry, minor spoilers. Um, synopsis of the old film, A Blade Runner. This was the original. A Blade Runner must pursue and try to terminate four replicants, a.k.a. androids, who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator, taken mm-hmm. also from IMDb. Um, initially, before we move into the story, this film was considered a flop. I don't know if you guys know this. Oh, yeah, no, it did not do well in the box offices. 
It was uh, up against like ET and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. It was actually. Let me pull it up. I have a list right here. Uh, when the within the weeks that it came out, it was alongside ET, the extraterrestrial, the thing, mm-hmm. uh, John Carpenter's the thing. So not the original one, but the remake, uh, Tron, Ooh. and Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, all in theaters at once. Yeah. Sci-fi paradise, guys. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. No wonder it flopped. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Those are big movies. Right. I mean, even Star Trek Two is considered, you know, the best of the old series um, mm-hmm. by, by many. I'm sure there are some angry fists shaking right now. <laughs> 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 but, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it c- why it was considered a flop, its budget was $28 million and it only grossed $33.8 million. I mean, not even $10 million, not even quite over $5 million what it what its budget was. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, it really under was underwhelming. Um, you know, and a lot of people attribute it to different endings there was a theatrical cut there was a final cut there was like five different cuts i was reading about as i was mm-hmm. researching this um you could also attribute it to the weekend um but josh and i actually when we were writing up the show kind of decided to uh to examine the theatrical cut versus the final cut and see because mm-hmm. nowadays it's considered a classic for its updated director's final cut can you clarify what the main difference of the two is yeah sure so the main difference um of the theatrical cut in 1982 was quote quote unquote this is how you'd find it the happy ending so what what happened is the film instead of leaving kind of on an open-ended note um it actually had a hollywood happy ending to it for as dark as this movie can get Mm -hmm. um what happened was and and I'll, i'll read what i wrote down here um Rachel and Deckard escape to the Los Angeles area. They make it out together. They ride off into the sunset. Um, they he like they run off as lovers together into the into the happy wilderness. Uh-huh. Um, and there's there's a line from Gaff who um, is played by uh, Edward James Olmos, um, who says it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? And it yeah. kind of sends them off. So it's this happy ending of. You know, Deckard made it out with his love. <laughs> yeah, well, the catch to that is that uh, replicants only live a couple years. Right, and, and it went in the film, yeah. though, she doesn't have, right? She's the one that doesn't have a lifetime. Yeah, she uh, is... Well, no, I'm pretty sure she's confirmed in the... At least the cut I watch to still oh, okay. have that. Yeah, she, okay. she's a not limited done. lifetime. Like a sl- lot of spoilers we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but um, the main the difference with her that you're thinking of is that um, she was like this advanced model that had more of a personality than previous models. Sure, yeah. and that was kind of what the whole um, Deckard testing mm, her scene was supposed more to be about. human than human. More human yeah. than human, yeah. exactly. And Which d- is a very interesting topic about yeah, the film. There's yeah. A, lot of uh, great ideas and stuff that the film really starts to explore. Um, well, and real quick, I, I do want to ask, um, while we're on the subject of endings, Josh, what did you see different in the final cut? Well, the final cut, uh, the largest difference I noticed, uh, it's been a while since I saw the theatrical cut, but was that there were just, it felt a lot uh, quicker. Like, it actually felt like the director had gone through and cut things a little bit tighter in places, um, and the voiceover narration was gone at the ending. That right. The, the biggest difference in the end is that um, the end of the final cut is a lot more open-ended. You're not really sure uh, what happens, but um, the theatrical cut, they had Harrison Ford. I don't know if you remember hearing about this about his uh, extremely excited monologue at the yeah. end yeah. <laughs> uh, basically they had him come back and record some voiceover narration to clarify the 
theatrical cuts ending, if I'm correct. Right. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong too, but I think there were a lot of people say that he purposely did them terribly. Oh yeah, they, really? he did not want them to use them. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, I mean, I've seen a cut where the voiceover goes the whole movie. Is that what you're talking about? Um, they, I believe, from what I've read, I could be I could be getting them backwards, but in the in the theatrical cut, they added thirteen voiceovers that they did not have in the final cut. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay, I've seen both. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, and they're from what I've from what I've experienced, and then I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember them being kind of rough. Yeah, <laughs> so. they're a little rough, but honestly, like I took it as a kind of a just it seemed dated a little bit, so I I kind of accepted it sure. more. I don't know. Sure, you know, he kind of took it as his first age, I guess. Voiceover is a very classic trope of film noir movies. Yeah, that's why I like and it. And so it did fit in. Um, as far as purists of the director's vision might go, maybe you don't like the voiceover, but I don't think they really ruined the movie with the voiceover mm-hmm. I don't think or so anything. Either. Yeah, and you, I mean, you're completely right. For those, I mean, unaware like film noir, think of like the 1940s detective stories, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> He's on the phone telling his whole story of where it all went wrong. You yeah. know, it's it's very much reliant on his experience and him telling it. So, I mean, you're completely right. Um, another idea, I didn't mean to cut you off earlier, but more human than human. Josh, what were you meaning by that? Okay, well, um, one of the things that Blade Runner, uh, one of the themes it focuses on is this idea of simu- simulacra and hyper-realities. Uh, both of which are topics that are usually focused on, uh, in movies at least, studied in relation to TV screens and the media. But um, the basic idea of the hyperreality is when the representation of something, such as uh, news bulletins about something or some visual image that society sees on a TV screen about a person or an event, the TV screen's version of it becomes more real than the actual event. And that's kind of uh, one of the themes that Blade Runner explores a lot, but with humans themselves. What happens when humanity is replicated by technology to the point where it's indistinguishable which is the original and which is the replication. Yeah, that's one of the things I was thinking about when coming up with my list we're about to talk about is like cyberpunk always focuses on this like sense of human identity mm-hmm. and when that gets mixed in with technology, like how do we identify ourselves as beings if you are, you know, integrate if your brain is like integrated with a computer, that kind of thing. Or like if you're uh, like a computer and you have if you're a living breathing thing, then like how do you consider that as an identity, like you know sure, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What constitutes the uh, I, you know idea of a reality? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean you're completely right. This whole film is based around the idea of existence. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, when even uh, I won't I won't ruin it because it is very much the end of the film. But I mean, even the existence of the main characters. Um, yeah, you know who well, they are. We've pretty much already ruined everything. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? It was still somewhat up in the air. And I will say my one critique is that I feel like the new trailers kind of answered the question, mm-hmm. um, at least a little bit in my mind. But I don't know. I, I could be. I don't know. Maybe we'll be much. surprised. We might be surprised. They've got to have picked an answer, though. Yeah. They can't yeah. just keep it open. <laughs> I think people would be mad. 
they did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so too. <laughs> they throw stuff at. Well, and honestly, based on the reviews, though, it is. It's like it's like an at an eighty-two on Metacritic right now. Oh yeah, it's, it's like it's getting insane reviews. People are liking it. People Which, are liking yeah. it. To no surprise, though. I mean, you're right. We're talking about his former, the director's former works of Arrival mm-hmm. and Sicario. I mean, the dude hasn't made a quote-unquote bad movie by critics yet. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so cool. So the idea of identity. Um, from what we can tell, carries into the new one um, as well. Uh, looks like I'm guessing the 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 uh, brunette female, um, the non Joy character, the non love mm-hmm. interest character, looks like I'm guessing is a replicant. I'm guessing she's the one that busts through the wall in the pre in the preview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I know I could be wrong. You're right. It's very much um, and even in the trailer. I mean, you know, the the shot of Ryan Gosling standing over a book, and it's like your your story is not yet finished. Again, mm-hmm. the idea of identity. So. Um, yeah, you guys are completely right. Anything else you guys wanted to add on that? Hmm. Well, if you have nothing to add right now. Um, <laughs> well, when uh, we get into um, a later section, I'll talk about it a bit more. Sure, sure. Okay, so kind of moving on, uh, we got some... Uh, I did want to add for the, the new one as well. Um, we talked about it briefly before, but the idea of cyberpunk and kind of being... Blade mm-hmm. Runner wasn't the birth, but it was definitely one of the uh, father figures in the cyberpunk movement. Um, and just to kind of give a background on what we mean by the cyberpunk, it, uh, in specifically, uh, cyberpunk attributes examine drug culture, technology, sexual rev- uh, revolutions while avoiding the utopian society of prior science fiction mm-hmm. works, which is really interesting. I never thought about it that way, but it yeah. completely makes sense, though. It, it avoids utopia and largely avoids dystopia as well. It doesn't really say that all of these things that um, all the technologies all the replicants and whatnot are ruining society as it stands like it does say they have problems but the society seems to be going along just fine despite whatever Deckard's doing you know like it is at least for the people on earth it's not exactly the best (laughs) civilization (laughs) but for humanity in general it is definitely not a dystopia in my mind at least I would actually have to disagree to some extent like when I don't know when you have these shots of like you know these corporate advertisements of like mm-hmm. all these different things and it just seems like you know big it, like the elite own everything um, I don't know I, mm-hmm. I see a lot of cyberpunk where I see dystopian aspects but yeah um, I mean I, I, I kind of agree with both of you I think it um it's definitely darker, but I don't think it's quite dystopian. But at the same time, I mean, I think you're right. I think there is kind of an overwhelming sense of the individual humanity is suffocated amongst mm-hmm. consumerism and, you know, uh, somewhat, I would say, I, I would say that in my mind, there's kind of a, a tie in it. It's it's a lack of government, but also oppressive in some ways, I feel like, because you see representation of cops very strewn out in the first Blade Runner, but when you do see them, I mean, they're killing. I mean, yeah. you know, they're the Blade Runners. They're not they're not necessarily cops, but I mean, they're the authority figure, and they're killing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no you know there's no obta- there's no detaining. There's no. So I think it kind of rides a, a middle line between it. Yeah, and I, I think that it's like, I think the uh, like bureaucratic systems tend to like ignore the fact that these things these uh, replicants feel. You know, these replicants have like tr- like actual emotions. And so, I don't know, it seems kind of dark to me in that sense. I mean, it's definitely not a bright yeah. movie, yeah. but I don't know. I I just don't see it like, it's a different, if it is dystopian, it's a different class of dystopian than, let's say, Divergent or Hunger Games dystopian, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's sure. a dystopian where 
society is not bound to collapse soon. Yeah. You right. know? And you know what? Even then, when you say Hunger Games and Divergent, for some reason I realize they are on the scale. They are an oppressive government. But I never once saw those movies and felt the same kind of, like, almost nihilism as I did when watching Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Blade Runner does an amazing job of framing its main characters among the huge, enormous, overwhelming cityscape. It is one of the first uh, real sci-fi movies to do that and focus on how small humanity has become in relation to its achievements. Um, and that's also that's definitely an important theme of it uh, in the film. I think even going to the ending of the film, knowing that Deckard kind of might make it out, especially in the theatrical cut, he makes it out with his love interest, and the cops really are just like, whatever, he's just another guy, you know? Like, they kind of move on. Sure, yeah. <laughs> they just say, uh, you know, all right, you know, you guys, you kids stay safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you're completely right. I, I think it. Uh, I think it's very, uh, I don't know, I think it's very much a grandfather figure, as weird as that kind of sounds, in the sense of um, an oppressive government. When you were talking about that, it kind of, you know, you said it was a society mm-hmm. uh, very much bound. I just kept envisioning the, the Tyrell Corp like building and how it looks like a pyramid. I mean, uh, you know, the symbolism behind that can be talked about, you know, an entire course. It's like, you know, it's yeah. uh, you know, it's this godlike idea of this Tyrell, who's the creator, for those who don't know, of the androids mm-hmm. or the replicants. Um, you know, he is this godlike figure and he, you know, gives life and, you know, all the implications of that. And uh, what it, I mean, I and I'll actually talk about that with our top picks. We actually picked some some top picks of uh, three films each, or three sorry, not three films, three various media's that are influenced by by Blade Runner a little bit later on. But um, I definitely I just kept coming to mind that sense of the pyramid, and he is mm-hmm. so far above everybody else. You don't even I don't think you even think you see a street. Like it's like it just it, the building's so big and until the uh, theatrical cuts ending, we do see a street. Well, I'm sorry. I, like in the <laughs> yeah. in the same shot. Oh, like, yeah, 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 in the same yeah. shot, you just see the pyramid, and that's it. Like it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. It seems like a void, um, where the city is below. Uh, before we move on to some new topics with the the new movie, um, some points. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to add on that subject? No. <laughs> well, um, so the ending shot of theatrical cut uh, remind me is. A shot of like this road in these mountains and a car driving along it with Deckard and his uh, love interest in, correct? Yes, and actually, just a fun fact you made me think of this that is actually taken from Stanley Kubrick. I don't know if you guys were you about to say that. I'm so sorry. Here, you (laughs) take the reins, take the reins, take the reins. No, uh, (laughs) 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 what my co host was uh, reminded of when I was clarifying that there is that. they, when they were adding the ending in, in addition to having to bring uh, uh, actors back for voiceover, they had to get footage for the ending, and they didn't have enough money to go out and take a helicopter and film those scenes, and so they just kind of borrowed from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I mean, they owned the footage, they just kind of reused it, I believe they flipped it or something. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I can't exactly remember what they did, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's pretty obvious if you'd watch them back to back. But 
<laughs> yeah. Did some touch-ups, and that's what they used. <laughs> yeah, and I think, if I remember correctly, I don't even know. I think Stanley Cooper just gave it to him. I think, oh, yeah. I think he just gave it to Ridley Scott and said, hey, like, here you go. <laughs> here you go, bud. So. <laughs> <laughs> How does so, that make you feel about it? Um, you know, I, I think it reinforces the idea that, to no surprise, they did a final cut and a director's cut. Yeah. I think it was very much... I mean, Ridley Scott was so... I think that was his third film. I could be wrong. I think it was uh, I, The Duelists, uh, Alien, and then Blade Runner. I think that was his third film. I, he was a young director. You know, he has the studio bearing down his neck. It yeah. It doesn't surprise me. You know, yeah. it's, um, you know, they said, no, that, that won't fly. You know, because at this point, sci-fi... What, what it was it was Star Wars you know I mean mm-hmm. it was there was it had to have a happy ending you know it, it wasn't I mean I guess they had what at that time had they had Empire Strikes Back yet I think it was Star Wars 1 was 76 and then I want to say 80 was Empire Strikes Back so maybe they had that unhappy ending you know of, of Han being taken but still you know uh, I uh, which is kind of weird that's Harrison Ford <laughs> well, <laughs> there, there's a very different thing uh, for what audience Audiences want and expect, and critics want and expect. Um, Preach audi- it. <laughs> audiences in general, in mass, want to go to the theater to escape depressing reality and have a good time, you know? Like, people who go back and watch these movies afterwards are often going because they know they have these artistic meanings, which is good and great, and movies should have them, but. It's no surprise that studios try to move it towards a more audience-friendly approach. Right. I mean, you know, in their minds, I think they just see dollar signs. You know, they they, yeah. they want to see the, the well, and, and to quote our courses, I'm so sorry for being that guy, but it's a classical Hollywood ending, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the happy ending. We've had, it all th- we've had this idea driven into our minds time and time again through our film and media courses. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's a very real thing, um, you know, the happy ending. And unfortunately, it kind of mm-hmm. took away from the original idea. You guys, uh, do you guys know anything about the production, like the actual shooting of the film? Uh, the original no, or the new I one? Know. The the original. Um, not too much. I actually did have to write a. I hate involving school in our sh- in our show, but I had to write a paper over it. Um, so briefly, I know they very much focused when he was designing the worlds. Before he focused on the script, he was focusing on the look of the world. But other than that, not too much. What did you have a- in mind? Apparently, it was a horrible shoot. Like everybody was miserable. And uh, just it kind of like I, I always wonder when I watch Blade Runner if that like kind of misery added to like the dark tone of the acting in the film. You, I love that point. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah, you can you can probably see it in Harrison Ford's uh, acting <laughs> in the movie. Especially, I think that might be just resting face. That yeah. might be one of the reasons why Harrison Ford was grumpy. Old Harrison Ford was so willing to come back to Deckard because. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't have to act as much for yeah, it. <laughs> it was apparently, you know, super, it was in New York, so it was cold and it, it was rainy and they had to wait around a lot for the rain to stop and mm-hmm. such. But, and yeah. it just, yeah, I mean, I think it totally added to the bleakness of yeah. their existence, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was truly even the relieving quote unquote happy moments. I feel like we're never truly, you know, ecstatically happy. So, yeah, uh, so yeah I love that point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, cool. So just for time's sake, I'll kind of move on. I did want to touch some points on your guys' thoughts of the new Blade Runner. None of us have seen it yet, as a reminder. Um, 
what do you guys think? We already talked briefly about the director. Uh, I'm s- terrible at pronouncing his name. He is French. Uh, Eric, will you help me out here? Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve, thank you so much. Um, he, uh, for those of you who know, have seen him, uh, he did Prisoners uh, back in, I want to say, 2012 with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Sicario, and also Arrival. Um, he was Oscar-nominated for Arrival uh, for Best Picture, and I want to say Best Director, too. Uh, but this man, I mean, he's incredible. I'm so excited uh, we, like, we, like we said, we talked about it earlier, so we won't talk about it too much now, but he is slated, I don't know if you guys know this, to helm a Doom, uh, a Dune, sorry, not Doom, Doom. a Dune, <laughs> D-U-N-E, uh, reboot uh, with actually, uh, David Lynch did one back in the 80s and it's considered a terrible movie and they kind of swept under the rug, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but if anyone can do it now, I mean, what do you guys think? Can he do it? I mean, I think, uh, I think he is the right guy for sci-fi. Seriously. After seeing Arrival, I was like, okay, th- this is great. And then when I saw, saw that he was slated for uh, Blade Runner, I was like, this is absolutely perfect. Just like with his style, it, it fits sci-fi pretty well. I just hope he wants to do sci-fi for the rest <laughs> of his career. Yeah, yeah. Can I don't we, think he will, though. Can we just give a sh- major shout-out to Roger Deakins being the cinematographer for this film? If you guys aren't familiar with him... Oscar nominated oh, 13 times. Yeah. The dude is a yeah. madman. Um, he's done, I mean, he's worked on, honestly, a movie, if you love it, he's probably worked on it. He's worked on uh, Shawshank Redemption, No Country for Old Men, Skyfall, the list goes on. The guy is a master at his craft, works a lot with the Coen brothers. Roger Deakins just knows how to frame a shot, dude. Yeah. Did, did he do uh, There Will Be Blood? I don't, I you know, I actually don't know, to be honest. Uh, he might have. We could research that. I, so. um, I tried to keep my know. list short <laughs> when I was referencing, but uh, no, Roger Deakins, he's an elderly uh, gentleman, but he is a beautiful, beautiful piece of work when it comes to filming and, and framing. So, While we're on the topic of uh, other crew, like major crew besides for the director with these movies, uh, I thought... Uh, it best to mention that one of the things a lot of people were worried about with Blade Runner 2049 is the music, actually. The music right. from the original was composed by Vangelis, and yes. it is a beloved soundtrack. And one of the reasons uh, people like it for the movie so much is the way it was composed, actually. Uh, I was reading about this. They composed, Vangelis composed it by watching through the scenes as they left the editing room, and then just playing the emotions he felt after watching the scene. Wow. That's and awesome. so the music itself tells, doesn't just echo the story that it's telling, but has its own feeling and emotions to it that really are built in with the wonderful sound design in the movie as well. And a lot of people were afraid that they would just take the themes that were used in the original and repeat them over and over again in the new one. And I don't know if that's what they did, but a lot of people were hoping that they would be able to somehow mesh that same kind of semi-improvisational emotion into the new soundtrack. Right, and Hans Zimmer scoring this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be familiar with his name. He's everywhere like Roger Deakins. <laughs> um, Dynamite, dude. He, uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone can do it, I'm sure he can. Yeah. Um, based off the... Uh, preview the trailer music I always would turn it up as loud as I could because that <laughs> Roger Deakins cinematography and that Hans Zimmer score I just would you know I would nerd out so 
I'm oh, so excited. Going back to There Will Be Blood, yes, he did do it. He did do yes. it. Okay, I mean, it makes sense. He, yeah. The guy knows how to capture a landscape, and you can see that in Sicario. Yeah. Holy cow. Jeez. He knows how to frame a shot. So for time's sake, we did want to move on uh, to, like I said, we have three uh, forms of media that we felt were our favorites when it came to being uh, influenced mm-hmm. by Blade Runner. Um, anyone want to start us off? Any volunteers? Uh, well, I can start us off. Um, <clears throat> one that's less influenced visually, more thematically, uh, David Cronenberg's Videodrome. Hey. Ah, I actually have not seen that. It's yet. a bizarre movie if you yeah. watch it. It's in uh, my. It's next in my media class. <laughs> but it focuses a lot on the same themes of what is it really to be a real human versus. Mm-hmm the representation of a human. And Videodrome takes that very literally with its uh, TV metaphors and imagery. (laughs) Uh, But it's the same kind of thing that uh, Blade Runner was trying to explore with its replicants. And I have no doubt that they're based on similar source material. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's David Cronenberg. For those unaware, he's a Canadian director. He did The Fly. He did uh, Scanners. He's done a whole bunch of Canadian horror, horror films. <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, if you guys haven't seen his films, very interesting visuals. Yeah. <laughs> For a lot of the century, he has defined Canadian films in general because yep. they don't really come over to America all that often. And Cronenberg was one of the examples that was really able to push through from Canada rather than the other way around. Gotcha. But anyway. All right, excellent choice. What do you got, Eric? Well, I was going to do Akira. Uh, Have you guys seen Akira? I have Have seen, going back to my show the other day when we talked about anime, I've seen like the first 20 minutes of it. Well, you know, I'm a huge weeaboo, so uh, (laughs) (laughs) I uh, chose Akira. It was made in 1988 by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo. And basically it's about a young kid in a motorcycle gang who feels inadequate. And then uh, all of a sudden a freak accident happens and certain technologies enhance him uh, and he gains uh, telekinesis. And so it's like, it's, it's about the effect of technology on people who feel inadequate. And it, it's that power, like he takes that power and he becomes this monster. And so it's, I just think it's a really interesting take on cyberpunk because mm-hmm. the mixture of technology with this, this human really just causes a huge catastrophe. And uh, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I love that. I, uh, from what I've seen, I, I'm definitely familiar with what you're saying. And I mean, I actually talked about that in one of my points too, like the mixture of science and I, I said kind of magic, but you're right, kind of this human element going science beyond like you know the, the chemistry labs and whatnot it's like you mm-hmm. have abilities thanks to science so yeah, yeah. um for my pick uh, i picked uh, looper from ryan johnson mm-hmm. the writer director of the next star wars film um joe gordon levitt film uh excellent movie 2012 a couple years ago um but i picked it uh for a couple of reasons i'll, I'll go through them kind of quickly but uh it's again kind of like blade runner a dark uh somewhat dystopian future there's law but you never really see it um and, and if there is law, it's always violent. Um, there's there's not a whole lot of presence of authority. It's all the underbelly, you know, of the society and focusing on that. Um, 
And also, this was my example too, is kind of the technology, and I, I said magic, I could probably find a better word for that, maybe like humanity or blurred, uh, via the creation of life and androids and Blade Runner and the uh, psychic abilities of characters and, and society as a whole in Looper. The, mo- the whole movie's not based around it, but it just, as a result of humans evolving, um, humans take on this ability to, to have psychic abilities. So it's kind of this kind of this line being blurred between humanity and this so-called scientific magic you know, realm. So that was mine, it was Looper. What do you got for number two? Okay, well, my second choice is the Matrix movies, actually. Yeah. Um, not only the first one. The first one does take a lot of its themes of what is re- real, what isn't, from that same co- sort of hyper-reality of... Um, that Blade Runner explores as well. But even um, closer to the end of the trilogy, a little bit of spoilers if you actually want to watch it, but (laughs) um, the end of The Matrix really starts to question whether it really should be an us versus them kind of robot-human distinction. And what is there really a difference between these robot programs and us humans? Um, And it might not have done it the best, But it definitely picked that idea straight out of Blade Runner's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'd completely agree. And again, the cyberpunk, you know, esque Mm -hmm. idea. I feel like they even took it a step further with using that lighting to make it. I'll keep it not so film so you guys can still enjoy it but like to make it look kind of green and pale and you know sickly uh-huh. and you know that cyberpunk idea of not you know this un- unrest society so yeah. Yeah. It, um, it's definitely the Matrix has a same sort of cyberpunk aesthetic at times but there is a big difference in that the Blade Runner movie is a very grounded sci-fi movie compared to movies like The Matrix yeah. which are much more over the top extreme mm-hmm you know they don't really feel as real as other movie kind of things, but Blade Runner feels scare eerily real, you know? Sure, I mean, it's a plausible, you know... It's a plausible future. Yeah, yeah, I I would say so, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, Cool. All right, uh, Eric, is it your turn? Yeah, so my number two is actually a book. Um, It's called Neuromancer by William Gibson, written in 1984. And this book actually coined the term cyberpunk and the term the matrix. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically it's about <laughs> this. G- I think you win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's a, uh, I th- oh wait, what, what am I saying? All right. It's about this guy named Case and he's basically this like hacker, this underground hacker that uh, works for like certain like mafia groups and like underground organizations. And he goes into uh, this like cyber reality called the matrix with his mind he jacks in and uh so he does that he, he's kind of like he just gets information he you know in in incepts things and he steals information yeah and so basically uh he uh one of the organizations he's working for he turns on for money and uh he's punished severely and is given a drug that fries his neurons so he may never dive in again and that's basically the beginning of the book and it is awesome. So you said he works for a corporation? No, running? he works oh. for underground organizations. Oh, organization. Like, I like mm-hmm. gangs, basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Again, Sounds cool. Again, yeah. the, the dark underbelly of society. Yeah. yeah, and it takes place in a very similar, like, uh, society uh, to Blade Runner. It's very, like, it. the book starts out in Japan. So it's, like, this mm-hmm. huge, like, cyberpunk metropolis. It's gritty. It's also still multicultural, even though it takes place in Japan. And it's very much reminiscent of Blade Runner. 
I think so. one of the things that Blade Runner influenced with a lot of sci-fi movies later on is that it really introduced crime to sci-fi. Because crime before at least Blade Runner and a lot of movies that followed it was really a film noir thing. Like, you didn't really see the prevalence and overwhelming sense of there being criminals in yeah. a lot of movies before Blade Runner. And Blade Runner really took that from film noir and placed it in a different movie showing that film noir wasn't the only one that could benefit off of this. And now we see it in movies all the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, the crime that was being committed, if you want to look at it in a realistic way, in Star Wars was by Luke. You know, <laughs> by by Obi-Wan, yeah. you know. Or Ben, <laughs> can I be sorry. Uh, side um, note on Neuromancer, by the oh, way. Yes. One of the coolest female characters I have ever seen in anything. Just... Go read it. Just Here's, go read it. Okay. And what's the title one more time in the author? Neuromancer by William Gibson, 1984. Awesome. Woo. Okay. Uh, moving it kind of quickly since we're running out of time. Number two, I picked uh, kind of mainstream, but I picked Inception um, by Christopher Nolan, you know, as influenced yeah. uh, by Blade Runner. Uh, I picked it because, in my mind, it is a use of a mainstream film to reinforce philosophical ideas in a sci-fi setting. You don't see that very often. You see it in, you know, lower sci-fi. You know, in, in th- nowadays we have more common sci-fi films but really this is a film that has action in it but is i would say arguably is not an action film um i would say mm-hmm. yeah it's it's based around the philosophy of you know and, and i even put as well as far as identity is very important in these films you know where they're you know these replicants these androids and blade runner are are fighting to meet their creator are fighting to have an identity um in Cobb and in inception through these dreams and these trips is starting to lose his identity. Um, and his identity is based around his past with his wife and his kids rather than who he is at the moment and providing mm-hmm. for his team. So I think it's, again, the ident- idea of identity and what it means to have an identity is reinforced yeah. in that yeah. movie. It definitely. I didn't even think about Inception. That's a great yeah. pick. <laughs> great pick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you got for us? Well, one that I'm pretty sure Eric definitely did think of because I'm looking over at his extras list <laughs> that he was thinking of talking <laughs> about. Um, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah which not only borrowed thematically (laughs) from Blade Runner, well, maybe not from Blade Runner, but from the same Mm -hmm. thematic sources as Blade Runner did, but definitely the animated movie relied heavily on Blade Runner's aesthetic of these huge cities that you see Mm -hmm. from a humanistic point of view. Um, We talked about Ghost in the Shell a couple weeks ago, Um, And one of the things that I don't think I got to praise the original on enough was that all of the shots of the city that we see are from the point of view of a human in the city. Mm. They're not these sweeping camera crane shots that are flying above the walkways and the city streets. All the shots in the original animated of the city are from eye level of where people might be, from the windows of buildings where people are. And it really made the city feel lived in and livable. And that's something that I think it took heavily from Blade Runner, where we see most of the city through the eyes of Decker in his car, looking around at the city around him. Which I will say... I think they carried on in the new one because there are shots of Ryan Gosling, you know, in his car, and I, I can't wait. I, yeah. It looks so much in the I vein. I cannot wait to watch people yeah. sit in a car. 
Roger Deakins filmed it. I'm fine with it. As long know? as there are neon lights in the car, I'm good. Of course. <laughs> All right, Eric, what do you got for number three? Man? So uh, my uh, number one pick is actually another book. Sorry. Uh, but it's uh, <laughs> it's Ready Player One. Have you guys heard of Ready Player One? I've heard of the Steven Spielberg movie that's coming yes, out. Yes, upcoming movie. I've heard people cannot wait for it. I've never read the book. Yeah, Same. the book is amazing. Okay. So it was written in uh, 2011 by Ernest Cline. And basically, uh, virtual worlds are now more real than uh, the dystopian reality that plagues the Earth. Mm -hmm. Commerce, culture, and lifestyle all take place outside of reality in this program called The Oasis, which is basically a virtual reality video game. And uh, escapism and and the distortion of one's own identity play a heavy role. So basically, this kid... um, yeah, so every, in in this world, like the world, it okay. So the book takes place uh, in OKC, actually. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> it starts out in OKC. What a dump! Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and it's so uh, overpopulated that they have stacks of RVs on top of each other, just towers of RVs, and the world is just crap. And mm-hmm. uh, everybody's just trying to escape in the oasis, and it it meant like people don't really identify with their real bodies anymore. Mm-hmm. They identify with their character in the game. And it's just really interesting if you get around to reading it. It's amazing. That's exactly that idea of hyper-reality yeah. that yeah. Josh well, was talking about. Well, okay. One of the things that a lot of movies who do study hyper-reality in them is that kind of they get wrong from the person who thought of who came up with the idea of hyper-reality originally is that the idea of hyperreality relies on the reality being invisible and not seeable by uh, the characters in it. Um, that's one of the things that uh, is criticized of the original Matrix movie, actually, is that the idea of the hyperreality being more real than the reality only works when you only see the hyperreality. Mm-hmm. And so it has become the representation of reality in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that yeah, it yeah. wasn't based off that yeah. idea. Just thought kinda I'd bring that up. Yeah, it takes <laughs> it and kind of warps it in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't wait. Like like uh, Josh said, it's a movie slated, directed by Steven Spielberg. It has, um, oh, I forget his name. His first name's Ty. But it also has uh, Mark Rylance in it, who's in Dunkirk. And he also won an Oscar for Bridge of Spies. So, yeah, I mean, I can't wait. Um, yeah. I'm really excited. And it's, it's a really big – It's. I mean, this is cliche, but it's a love letter to uh, 80s culture the whole oh, time. Because yes. the guy who created the Oasis is, I, grew I up in the 80s. I don't know if that's popular right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, right? <laughs> all right, before we get to our last segment, I'm going to ha- have my number three or number one, as you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film Ex Machina, did either of you ever see this movie? No, no I didn't, oh, but it's I've amazing. it's amazing. Uh, Alex Garland oh, yeah. uh, wrote okay. and directed this film. He also he got famous for writing for Danny Boyle. He wrote uh, the original script for... Um, uh, 28 Days Later, uh, uh-huh. kind of the resurgence of the zombie films into modern society. Um, but he also wrote The Beach, and he's written, he's worked a lot with Danny Boyle. Alex Garland is awesome, and I believe it was his directorial debut. I could be wrong, but it is a beautiful movie. Um, it has three main characters in it. I think a cast of maybe five. Uh-huh. Uh, it's super limited. Dama Gleason, uh, Alicia Vikander, and Oscar Isaac, who I love Oscar Isaac. Um, it's, it's a movie, for those unaware, I'll just do the synopsis real quick because it's a lesser known. A young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the qualities of, of a breathtaking humanoid AI. Mm-hmm. So there's a female... Uh, Oscar Isaac has created he's like his billionaire like head of quote unquote you know Facebook it's not Facebook but he's you know he's a CEO type that has more money than he can count mm-hmm. he's reclusive and he has created this female AI um, 
who he wants uh, one of his employees wins a, wins a bet or wins a lottery and gets to come to where he lives and perform tests on this AI to see whether she actually is human or not. Um, the movie is could be seen as slow for some people because there's not a lot of action. There's only three main characters. Uh-huh. The dialogue is amazing. The shots are beautiful, and it is really an in-depth look into what is life, what is yeah. humans, um, the the importance of choice. Uh, you know, and and kind of go along with Blade Runner as well. Not yeah. only the replicant idea, but the uh, importance of choice with Ava, who's Alicia Vikander's character, the AI, and then also um, Rachel, who's Sean Young's character in Blade Runner. So it's it's a movie about choice, uh, the implications of creating life with time. Tyrell from Blade Runner and Nathan mm. from Ex Machina. I cannot recommend this movie enough. And also an idea that kind of explores nature versus technology. Uh, can I talk about like the overarching thing of theme of identity real quick before we move on? Uh, yeah, we have a couple minutes left. Yeah. I'm sure we can. I, I just wanted to say that I think this idea of identity and like what makes uh, people like who they are is mm-hmm. really important right now, especially like with Blade Runner 2049 coming out because. I mean, we see like you know race politics and you know sexuality politics coming up all the time mm-hmm. nowadays, and I think it's really important for people to think about what makes you who you are at like as a person. And I think like cyberpunk like this, it really ties into that well. Yeah, I think yeah. that uh, I don't know how much the audience or you guys uh, know about the postmodernism in film, but yeah. Blade Runner definitely has elements of the postmodern in it. Uh, studying duality of uh, human existence about what we're expected to be versus what we are and you know, stuff like that. Um, I just want to throw that in real quick. So. <laughs> sure, yeah. No, by all means, welcome. Quick ending. So since, yeah. since we're running out of time, uh, our show was about Blade Runner. It was about choices, mm-hmm. about humanity, about the future, about the past. Um, I, I frankly was so excited for this show. Uh, so Blade Runner 2049 is in theaters. Uh, I think we're all going to go see it as fast as we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very quickly, uh, what can you not put down this week? Our recurring segment of things that we love that are going on in our life, whether it's an old movie, whether it's a new book. Uh, Josh, what's something you got going on that you just can't stop thinking about? Uh, well, I listen to a lot of music. And that's really all I've had time to listen to new this week. Um, I've been listening to this, uh, I believe, Swedish band, but they sing in English, um, Kings of Convenience. Uh, they're a little bit older. Uh, they make very soft, sweet, folksy melodies, uh, and they have about two vocalists singing all at all times. Um, I've been listening to their first album a lot this week, uh, Quiet is the New Loud. Uh, it's really good. It's just one of the most relaxing, happy music bands I've found, and I enjoy them quite a bit. Very neat. All right, Eric, what do you got going on? What can you not put down? Well, I got my hands on a Super Nintendo Classic, and uh, <laughs> man, I, saw, I, oh, no. am, I love it. I am just enjoying it all day. Your poor midterms. Sure, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he's not. He's graduated, <laughs> man. He's got, he's got yeah. nothing to worry about. So, yeah. <laughs> got lucky. Been playing Donkey Kong. All mm. those classic 90s Nintendo games. <laughs> sure. Great. So uh, for my uh, thing I can't put down, um, very briefly, uh, it's a YouTube series called Cinefix. It's a, is the channel. Um, oh, yes. It is, it's been around for a while, but it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, they it's, are really good. It's, it's not always top ten, but it's a countdown channel that explores, mm-hmm. you know, the best actor portrayals, the best shots in film, the most intense shots in film. You know, I mean, it just explores. It picks a theme, and it dives into it, and I feel like they know what they're talking about, and I, I can just binge it. I don't know if you've seen on their channel. One of my favorite video series they have on their channel is a 
what's the difference? Where they look at a movie and then the source material the movie was mm. based on oh, and cool. go through the story and thematic differences. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah so uh, Cinefix, uh, check it out if you guys like film. It's just it's a film lover's paradise. All right, well, that about wraps us up for this week. Uh, like Goodbye. I said, we took a week off. We appreciate your patience. Um, I believe some streaming uh, issues again today, so hopefully we're going to try to get this uh, copy to us and get it recorded and get it put up for you guys. But uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. We are Pop Culture Water Cooler. You can find us both on Facebook and Twitter at Pop, at pop Culture WC. Um, also, we are here every Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. at KXOU. You can listen at kxou.ou.edu and tune in app when it's wanting to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eric and Josh, it's always a pleasure. Any, any uh, last words? Well, thank you, and I'll see you guys thank next you week. For listening. Yeah. All right, you guys have a good week, and I'll, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. planetary adventures of Flash Gordon and Dale Arden. These thrilling adventures come to you as they are pictured each Sunday in the Comic Weekly, the world's greatest pictorial supplement of humor and adventure. The Comic Weekly, now printed in 32 tabloid-sized pages, each page in full four colors, is distributed everywhere as a part of your Hearst Sunday newspaper. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> uh, we've been working towards this for a while. Hopefully it is fixed and we are able to be in a podcast form. Uh, that's the ultimate goal. All right. Uh, so, anybody want to briefly describe today's topic with a little bit of excitement? We are talking about Blade Runner 2049. Oh, Blade he said Runner. a little bit of excitement. <laughs> just a li- You know what? I felt a little bit of excitement. <laughs> just a little bit. That's my super excited voice, just gotcha. so you guys know. Gotcha. We are talking about Blade Runner, original and new. Uh, we were originally going to do this last week and start off October with a horror month, but with taking a break, we're, we're approaching it this week. So Blade Runner 2049 is actually coming out today. Mm. Uh, pretty awesome. I can't wait to see it. Have either of you guys seen it yet? Nope. Not yet. I'm going to see it tomorrow, probably. Do you guys have plans to see it? I have plans with some friends, but... Josh, I might go with you. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. I am really excited. No, I I am so just stupid excited about this film. The only thing that has me a little bit um, less than thrilled is that it's two hours and 45 minutes from what I've heard. (laughs) Whoa. So you've got to really, really be awake for this. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I, man, I can't wait though. I'm, I'm ready to strap in. I want to see it on the biggest screen possible. You know, go to the Warren. What, what are you thinking? Yeah. What are you thinking, Eric? I kind of want to do director's suite. Oh, that's I, I read too. some reviews and I was like, all right, this is worth it. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, we'll go into this a little bit later, I'm sure. But uh, if anything, I'm sure Blade Runner has done well with a bit of the Hollywood treatment, maybe making. Uh, the new one a bit more exciting than the original, but <laughs> are anyway. you uh, are oh, you dare, hey. are you dare insinuating that the original was 
hard to watch. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> it had its moments, but yeah, no, you're right. It's it's kind of dry. <laughs> well, no, it's, what? <laughs> I I will say this, and I say this of a lot of movies that it was an amazing movie, but it's not a good movie to watch if you're tired. <laughs> that's very. That's a good. I mean, honestly, I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, Eric, you had an objection. What are you thinking, man? Uh, I don't know. It's just one of my favorite movies. That's all, you know. <laughs> that's all. I'm just that, leaving that's it. That's all. I'm just leaving it. That's before, all. You're just killing my baby yeah. in front of me. <laughs> yeah. Hurting me physically. All right. Before we dive in to the new Blade Runner and the old Blade Runner, and frankly, Legacy for that matter, uh, let's do some weekly news. Uh, this is going to cover two weeks. As I said, we took a week off. So I'll go ahead and start us out. Um, I've kind of picked through the uh, the weeds of movie news. There's not a whole lot going on, but uh, I think I found some couple of things. So for the first thing I jotted down, Bruce Willis dot 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 is officially back for the Die Hard series in Die Hard Part 6 um uh, guys, why do they keep making these? Um, it's it's going to be a, a year one. So not only a Die Hard 6, it's going to be an origin story. I was just talking to my friends about this the other day and telling them how there's a lot of films that feel like the character is this epic, almost godlike person who needs <laughs> to have more stories told of it's him. It's unstoppable. Yeah. But Bruce Willis was not that character in Die Hard 1. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Well, I mean, it's the classic thing of what? In the first movie, he is feet are cut and he can barely walk. And in the fourth mm, movie, he's yeah. blowing up a helicopter he, with a car. He was, yeah. so, <laughs> he was supposed to be like a vulnerable guy, you know, just this yeah, average right, joke. Ah. Right. And he's this indestructible killing machine. Yes. I um, cannot blame Bruce Willis for coming back for more. I am sure they are <laughs> a blast. Film. And, you know, it's so he, he has a lot of I, I won't go into kind of Hollywood rumors, but apparently and long story short, he's hard to work with so but apparently yeah he's hard to work with but apparently the money's right he'll be there so (laughs) they're having bruce willis as an older version of john mcclain and they haven't cast him yet but a younger version of john mcclain in year one really quick what was the last one that came out uh i believe it was was it a good day to die hard yeah the one where they tried to set up a young version of bruce willis oh through his son right it was through it was jai courtney the guy who played boomerang in suicide squad it went (laughs) about as well as the attempt to make shia LaBeouf the new Indiana Jones. <laughs> Which they are excluding from the next one, yes. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> they have just backtracked on that uh, attempted uh, tradition. The, the attempted tradition, Did yeah. Did they ever succeed on that with any movies? Um, uh, I can't think of any. I can't think it off the top of my head. I'm sure there's one. took the reins and got a good sequel. <laughs> I get the gear. Can you think of any? No. Yeah, I can't no, either. I'm sure there are some out there, but I can't think of it at the moment. So long story short, Die Hard 6, the movie we all need. See you guys in the theaters. <laughs> all right, what do we got next on the list? Well, I guess Will Smith is officially not returning to Men in Black. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, I guess there's a sequel, uh, and it's going to be crossed with 21 Jump, Jump Street. And Wait, Willing- what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like style-wise, you- or is this a crossover? Oh, no, it's a straight cross. What? It was in a Sony-leaked email <laughs> that they are planning a crossover <laughs> of 21 Jump Street and Men in Black and for the further <laughs> train trips. It will have Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. So, what? (laughs) (laughs) Who said this was a good idea? You know, it honestly might be a beautiful disaster. I'm waiting. I I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'll probably go see it. I love 21 Jump Street and 22. I think they're hilarious. I thought they were hilarious, too, but I thought 22 Jump Street killed all the future sequels (laughs) of it. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess. Where do you go from here? What about space? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) 
So Will Smith, um, I understandably, is probably not coming back for reasons I would imagine <laughs> maybe a turn in the series. But uh, yeah, he's not coming back. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to comment on that? They got to have that star power. Will Smith's gone, so they're gonna have Jonah Hill. I mean, I, I haven't seen Will Smith in anything super <coughs> blockbustery in a while. No, Suicide Squad, right? That's the oh, last thing. Oh, you're right. Suicide yeah. Squad. He was I in. I try a, to forget about that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> he was in that film. Uh, what is that film called? That was about the concussions in the NFL that they tried to really push for an Oscar nom. Mm. It was a. Uh, was it just called concussion? I think it was called concussion. Yeah, yeah. tell the truth. Like that one. Yeah, <laughs> it was really. It was just. Yeah, they really. I don't know if you guys remember this, but they really pushed for a. Oscar nomination and it didn't go anywhere and then there's a whole drama I won't get into it that went with that yeah long story short you're right Will Smith's not really been in a whole lot oh I will say though before we leave this topic he is cast officially as Genie in the live action (coughs) Aladdin film Guy Ritchie's Aladdin film, so uh-huh. that's kind of interesting. What but are with these weird casts, I don't know. These man. are so strange. Like, I don't know. And even if he's awesome, it's going to be hard to measure up to Robin Williams. So that's just my yeah. thought, at least. But, uh, but all right, Josh, what do we got next on the list? Okay, well, next up, um, we have Hollywood's darling James Cameron. <laughs> Coming back with a sequel to his Avatar film. It'll be start starting to film with a $1 billion budget, and it already has four sequels scheduled. So oh Is that is that gosh. a billion with a B? That's a billion with a B. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the first one made that much, right? So, like... <laughs> right. That was also back when 3D was relevant, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Do they need this? Huh? Do they need this many movies? Um, Avatar. He said he's gone on record saying he wants to finish his career with Avatar. Uh, well, what, what other with stories five do you films of it? Yeah, yeah. What other stories do you have to tell? The first one was Pocahontas. Like it literally was Pocahontas. Have you guys ever seen that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was dances like, with bulls. Pocahontas. Yeah. I mean, exactly. How many more ways can you say we are screwing up our environment? <laughs> <laughs> Aliens. We need blue, blue aliens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, something that might make it worth existing is the fact that Kate Winslet has joined the cast. <laughs> Kate Winslet. <of> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Sorry. No, no, you're, you're good. It's, you're good. No, and I mean, she's an Oscar winner. I think she uh, won it for the reader. I think I could mm. be completely wrong, but. Um, Hopefully she'll bring something to the table. I, man, yeah, what, why, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. And let's see. Next on the list is going to be last for our news. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein was pulled from Universal's schedule for the following two years for uh, reasons stating the poor uh, box office performance from The Mummy starring Tom Cruise. (laughs) Um, Did you guys even see this movie? No. Uh, no. No, but I know they were really, really trying hard in that movie to set up this cinematic universe of monster creatures, yeah. like old school monster creatures. Uh, and they just, they pushed too hard and people were just like, we really don't want that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's the, it's the so, so-called dark universe and they still have it slated. They're still making movies for it. Wow. Does but, it have anything to do with the Brandon Fraser mummy movies? That this mummy movie? Yeah, oh. I've been told no. Oh, okay. I've been Not told really it's a straight reboot. That's what I reboot. assumed. Yeah, no, I've been told it's a straight reboot. Interesting. Um, but the Bride of Frankenstein, it was supposed to star Harvey Bardem as Frankenstein's monster and uh, rumored Angelina Jolie as the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, but they they pulled it, so I think they're pulling the plug. They realize I don't even have the numbers in front of me, but I know the mummy did not perform at the box no. office. So, well, there's a good decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so uh, yeah, hopefully they take a lesson from it, but they still have the dark universe planned. I do know they set up. Uh, Oh, uh, 
oh man, uh, Russell Crowe. Wow, I blanked on his name. Russell Crowe is going to be uh, Je- Je- Dr. Jekyll. Like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Really? And also, they're setting up, they still have Johnny Depp. This is confirmed. They still have Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man. So it's like, are they, they're kind of pulling out the, the old fogies yeah. <laughs> for these for these roles. Uh, so so we'll, we'll see about that. But as for now, the Dark Universe continues on without Bride of Frankenstein. All right. So today, very special day, October 6th. I didn't say that in the beginning, 2017. Blade Runner 2049 is officially in theaters. Guys, I've been waiting, I feel like, months, if years for this. How excited are you? Very excited. I love Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> he's oh, he's so incredible. awesome. He he's incredible. And when his name was attached to it, I just mm-hmm. my jaw yeah. almost hit the floor. Did, yeah. did you guys see Arrival? Oh yeah. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, so good. It was that, so good. Hearing that the guy behind Arrival was behind this movie yeah. made me not worried at all. Yeah. What I like even more was Sicario. Oh yeah, Sicario. Sicario yet to see it. Really introduced me to him and mm-hmm. just got me really hyped on this director. Sure, and for those who don't know, if you should check it out, Sicario. That's starring Emily Blunt, and that is an. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a tale about a. Uh, is she a DEA agent that gets sent down into the mafia cartel? I believe she's or a to, mm-hmm. to to pursue it, and they have a Sicario, which is I believe Spanish for hitman, um, oh. that they uh, played um, by by Benicio del Toro. That's down with them, and and, and Josh Brolin's in it as well. Best uh, Benicio del Toro performance ever. I'm serious. Oh, by far. I yeah. mean, he's menacing, he's intimidating, but he's mm-hmm. also quiet throughout yeah. the whole entire film. That's awesome. And also has one of the best, like, eight-minute suspense sequence filmings of all time, <laughs> where is the uh, shooting on the, oh. the highway. Oh, mm-hmm. my gosh. Oh, yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, you can find video essays. I've, c- I've come across multiple video essays about this scene, yeah. about about how you film suspense, so you, sh- you should check it out. But, yeah, Blade Runner 2049, um, starring, just a little bit of info, starring Ryan Gosling, for those unaware, as the letter K. That's all we have of a name for him. It's just <laughs> K. It's, it's not Agent K like Men in Black. It's K. So we got we got Ryan Gosling, uh, Anna de Armas as Joy. Um, I'm just calling it right now. I think she, I don't want to ruin it for myself, but I think she is an, a replicant i think she's an android um if you guys are familiar with the blade runner story we'll talk about that more in a second and also a reprisal of harrison ford as deckard um josh anything you wanted to add as far as your excitement or your thoughts for this new movie before we dive into it well i am very excited and really the only thing that made me nervous about it is i don't necessarily like old harrison ford as much as uh some other people may like him um it might just be because of his reprisal of Indiana Jones that really ruined him for me in the recent <laughs> years, but he always just seems really grumpy about filming now. Oh, sure. Well, and he's gone on record in, in, in interviews, and I actually wrote this in our notes, but he, he said the only role that he actually wished, wished, wished to reprise was Deckard. He, he mm-hmm. didn't like Han Solo. He didn't, you know, he didn't like all these other roles that made him famous, but he wanted to do Deckard again. Yeah, seeing him um, as Han Solo again really made me concerned about this cast because, I don't know, I just, yeah, I just can't can't handle the old man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the can't old man him. grumpy. Like, he, watching him run just makes me sad. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> just makes you sad. <laughs> all right, well, moving on, we got a synopsis for those unaware uh, for the movie Blade Runner 2049. A young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him to track down a former Blade Runner, Rick, Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years. That's taken from IMDb. Mm-hmm. All right, before we actually get into it, I did want to give some background for those unaware, because none of us were alive when this first movie came out. Um, <laughs> 1982, Blade Runner, based off a book, uh, Philip K. Dick, uh, Blade Runner, 
what is it? So a little bit of background. It's based off a novel called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Like I said, written by Philip K. Dick, published in 1968. Um, needless to say, kind of well before its time. I, yeah. uh, we kind of briefly talked about this for the show, and I'm sure Eric will get into it more later, but Eric, um, cyberpunk, I mean, this was near the birth of it. What do, what do you... How, Briefly, how, how do you think it contributed to it? We'll talk about more about it later. Well, I think it really set the uh, visual aesthetics for cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. That neon, you know, the neon lights and a like really gritty, like old multicultural like metropolis, mm-hmm. and uh, that like it has <laughs> that noir aspect to it that I really they think that uh, Blade Runner set in stone for other cyberpunk films. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's pe- multiple people have gone on record saying it is the first quote-unquote modern sci-fi film, a combination of film noir and, and the old, you know, sci-fi of the '50s. So, uh, yeah, it's incredibly influential. Um, just kind of looking through our notes, uh, just a little bit more some background. The original Blade Runner, uh, directed by Ridley Scott, released on June twenty-fifth, nineteen eighty-two, uh, starring Harrison Ford as Deckard, Rutgerd Hayer as Roy Batty, the uh, replicant, and also Sean Young as Rachel, the replicant as well sorry minor spoilers um synopsis of the old film a blade runner this was the original a blade runner must pursue and try to terminate four replicants aka androids who stole a ship in space and have returned to earth to find their creator taken Mm -hmm. also from imdb um initially before we move into the story this film was considered a flop i don't know if you guys know this oh yeah no it did not do well in the box offices it was uh, up against like ET and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. It was actually. Let me pull it up. I have a list right here. Uh, when the within the weeks that it came out, it was alongside ET, the Extraterrestrial, the thing, mm-hmm. uh, John Carpenter's the thing. So not the original one, but the remake, uh, Tron, Ooh. and Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, all in theaters at once. Yeah. Sci-fi paradise, guys. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. No wonder it flopped. I mean. <laughs> Those are big movies. Right. I mean, even Star Trek Two is considered, you know, the best of the old series um, mm-hmm. by, by many. I'm sure there are some angry fists shaking right now. <laughs> 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 but, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it c- why it was considered a flop, its budget was $28 million and it only grossed $33.8 million. I mean, not even $10 million, not even quite over $5 million what, it, what its budget was. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, it really under was underwhelming. Um, you know, and a lot of people attribute it to different endings there was a theatrical cut there was a final cut there was like five different cuts i was reading about as i was mm-hmm. researching this um you could also attribute it to the weekend um but josh and i actually when we were writing up the show kind of decided to uh to examine the theatrical cut versus the final cut and see because mm-hmm. nowadays it's considered a classic for its updated director's final cut can you clarify what the main difference of the two is yeah sure so the main difference um of the theatrical cut in 1982 was quote quote unquote this is how you'd find it the happy ending so what what happened is the film instead of leaving kind of on an open-ended note um it actually had a hollywood happy ending to it for as dark as this movie can get Mm -hmm. um what happened was and and I'll, i'll read what i wrote down here um rachel and deckard escape to the los angeles area they make it out together they ride off into the sunset um they he like they run off as lovers together into the into the happy wilderness uh-huh. Um, and there's there's a line from Gaff who um, is played by uh, Edward James Olmos, um, who says it's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? And it yeah. kind of sends him off. So it's this happy ending of, you know, Deckard made it out with his love. <laughs> yeah. Well, the catch to that is that uh, replicants only live a couple years. Right. And, and it, in the film, yeah. though, she doesn't have right. She's the one that doesn't have a lifetime. Yeah. She uh, is. Well, no, I'm pretty sure she's confirmed in the 
at least the cut I watched to still oh, okay. have that. Yeah, she, okay. she's uh, not limited done. lifetime. Like a sl- lot of spoilers we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, sorry, but um, the main the difference with her that you're thinking of is that um, she was like this advanced model that had more of a personality than previous models. Sure, yeah. and that was kind of what the whole um, Deckard testing mm-hmm. her scene was supposed more to be about. human than human. More human yeah. than human, yeah. exactly. And Which d- is a very interesting topic about yeah, the film. There's yeah. A, lot of uh, great ideas and stuff that the film really starts to explore. Um, well, and real quick, I, I do want to ask, um, while we're on the subject of endings, Josh, what did you see different in the final cut? Well, the final cut, uh, the largest difference I noticed, uh, it's been a while since I saw the theatrical cut, but was that they were just, it felt a lot uh, quicker. Like, it actually felt like the director had gone through and cut things a little bit tighter in places, um, and the voiceover narration was gone at the ending. That, right. The, the biggest difference in the end is that um, the end of the final cut is a lot more open-ended. You're not really sure uh, what happens, but um, the theatrical cut, they had Harrison Ford. I don't know if you remember hearing about this about his uh, extremely excited monologue at the yeah. end yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically they had him come back and record some voiceover narration to clarify the theatrical cuts ending if I'm correct right well, and correct me if I'm wrong too but I think there were a lot of people say that he purposely did them terribly oh yeah they, really? he did not want them to use them <laughs> <laughs> so but, I mean I've seen a cut where the voiceover goes the whole movie. Is that what you're talking about? Um, they, I believe, from what I've read, I could be I could be getting them backwards, but in the th- in the theatrical cut, they added 13 voiceovers that they did not have in the final cut. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, okay. I've seen both. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, and they're from what I've from what I've experienced, and then I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember them being kind of rough. Yeah, <laughs> so. they're a little rough, but honestly, like I took it as a kind of a just it seemed dated a little bit, so I I kind of accepted it. Sure. More, I don't know. Sure, yeah. he kind of took it as his For its age, I guess. Voiceover is a very classic trope of film noir movies. Yeah, that's why I like and it. And so it did fit in. Um, as far as purists of the director's vision might go, maybe you don't like the voiceover, but I don't think they really ruined the movie with the voiceover mm-hmm. I don't think so either. Yeah, and you, I mean, you're completely right. For those, I mean, unaware like film noir, think of like the 1940s detective stories, mm-hmm. you know. He's on the phone telling his whole story of where it all went wrong. You yeah. know, it's it's very much reliant on his experience and him telling it. So, I mean, you're completely right. Um, another idea, I didn't mean to cut you off earlier, but more human than human. Josh, what were you meaning by that? Okay, well, um, one of the things that Blade Runner, uh, one of the themes it focuses on is this idea of simulacra and hyper-realities, both of which are topics that are usually focused on, uh, in movies at least, studied in relation to TV screens and the media. But um, the basic idea of the hyper-reality is when the representation of something, such as uh, news bulletins about something or some visual image that society sees on a TV screen about a person or an event, the TV screen's version of it becomes more real than the actual event. And that's kind of uh, one of the themes that Blade Runner explores a lot, but with humans themselves. What happens when 
humanity is replicated by technology to the point where it's indistinguishable which is the original and which is the uh, replication. Yeah, that's one of the things I was thinking about when coming up with my list we're about to talk about is like cyberpunk always focuses on this like sense of human identity mm-hmm. and when that gets mixed in with technology like how do we identify ourselves as beings if you are you know integrate if your brain is like integrated with a computer that kind of thing or like if you're uh, like a computer and you have if you're a living breathing thing then like how do you consider that as an identity like you know sure, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What constitutes the uh, I, you know idea of a reality? Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean you're completely right. This whole film is based around the idea of existence. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, when even uh, I won't I won't ruin it because it is very much the end of the film. But I mean, even the existence of the main characters. Um, yeah. You know who well, they are. Well, we've pretty much already ruined everything. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what? It was still somewhat up in the air. And I will it say is. my one critique is that I feel like the new trailers kind of answered the question. Mm-hmm. Um, at least a little bit in my mind, but I don't know. I, I could be, I don't know. Maybe we'll be much. surprised. We might be surprised. They've got to have picked an answer though. Yeah. They can't yeah. just keep it open. <laughs> <laughs> I think people would be mad. They did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so too. <laughs> they <laughs> throw stuff. At- well, and honestly, based on the reviews, though, it is. It's like it's like an at an eighty-two on Metacritic right now. Oh yeah, it's, it's like it's getting insane reviews. People are liking it. People Which, are liking yeah. it. To no surprise, though. I mean, you're right. We're talking about his former, the director's former works of Arrival mm-hmm. and Sicario. I mean, the dude hasn't made a quote-unquote bad movie by critics yet. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so cool. So the idea of identity. Um, from what we can tell, carries into the new one um, as well. Uh, looks like I'm guessing the 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 uh, brunette female, um, the non Joy character, the non love mm-hmm. interest character, looks like I'm guessing is a replicant. I'm guessing she's the one that busts through the wall in the pre in the preview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I know I could be wrong. You're right. It's very much um, and even in the trailer. I mean, you know, the the shot of Ryan Gosling standing over a book, and it's like your your story is not yet finished. Again, the mm-hmm. idea of identity. So. Um, yeah, you guys are completely right. Anything else you guys wanted to add on that? Hmm. Well, if you have nothing to add right now. Um, <laughs> well, when uh, we get into um, a later section, I'll talk about it a bit more. Sure, sure. Okay, so kind of moving on, uh, we got some uh, – I did want to add for the, the new one as well. Um, we talked about it briefly before, but the idea of cyberpunk and kind of being – Blade mm-hmm. Runner wasn't the birth, but it was definitely one of the uh, father figures in the cyberpunk movement. Um, and just to kind of give a background on what we mean by the cyberpunk, it, uh, in specifically, uh, cyberpunk attributes examine drug culture, technology, sexual rev- uh, revolutions while avoiding the utopian society of prior science fiction mm-hmm. works, which is really interesting. I never thought about it that way, but it yeah. completely makes sense, though. It, it avoids utopia and largely avoids dystopia as well. It doesn't really say that all of these things that um, all the technologies all the replicants and whatnot are ruining society as it stands like it does say they have problems but the society seems to be going along just fine despite whatever Deckard's doing you know like it is at least for the people on earth it's not exactly the best <laughs> civilization <laughs> but for humanity in general it is definitely not a dystopia in my mind at least I would actually have to disagree to some extent like when I don't know when you have these shots of like you know these corporate advertisements of like Mm -hmm. all these different things and it just seems like 
you know, big, like the elite own everything. Um, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I see a lot of cyberpunk where I see dystopian aspects, but. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 I kind of agree with both of you. I think it, um, it's definitely darker, but I don't think it's quite dystopian. But at the same time, I mean, I think you're right. I think there is kind of an overwhelming sense of the individual humanity is suffocated amongst mm-hmm. consumerism and, you know, uh, somewhat, I would say, I, I would say that in my mind, there's kind of a, a tie in it. It's it's a lack of government, but also oppressive in some ways, I feel like, because you see representation of cops very strewn out in the first Blade Runner. But when you do see them, I mean, they're killing. I mean, yeah. you know, they're the Blade Runners. They're not they're not necessarily cops, but I mean, they're the authority figure and they're killing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no you know, there's no obta- there's no detaining. There's no. So I think it kind of rides a, a middle line between it. Yeah, and I, I think that it's like, I think the uh, like bureaucratic systems tend to like ignore the fact that these things, these uh, replicants feel. You know, these replicants have like tr- like actual emotions, and so I don't know. It seems kind of dark to me in that sense. I mean, it's definitely not a bright yeah movie. Yeah, but I don't know. I I just don't see it like. It's a different, if it is dystopian, it's a different class of dystopian than, let's say, Divergent or Hunger Games dystopian. You know, it's a dystopian where society is not bound to collapse soon. And you know what? Even then, when you say Hunger Games and Divergent, for some reason I realize they are on the scale. They are an oppressive government. But I never once saw those movies and felt the same kind of, like, almost nihilism as I did when watching Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, yeah, the Blade Runner does an amazing job of framing its main characters among the huge, enormous, overwhelming cityscape. It is one of the first uh, real sci-fi movies to do that and focus on how small humanity has become in relation to its achievements. Um, and that's, also, that's definitely an important theme of it uh, in the film, I think even going to the ending of the film, knowing that Deckard kind of might make it out, especially in the theatrical cut, he makes it out with his love interest, and the cops really are just like, whatever, he's just another guy, you know, like, they kind of move on. Sure, yeah, (laughs) they just say, uh, you know, all right, you know, you guys, kids stay safe. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, I I think you're completely right. I I think it, uh, I think it's very... uh, I don't know. I think it's very much a grandfather figure, as weird as that kind of sounds, in the sense of um, an oppressive government. When you were talking about that, it kind of, you know, you said it was a society mm-hmm. uh, very much bound. I just kept envisioning the, the Tyrell Corp, like, building and how it looks like a pyramid. I mean, uh-huh. you know, the symbolism behind that can be talked about, you know, an entire course. It's like, you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's this godlike idea of this Tyrell, who's the creator, for those who don't know, of the androids mm-hmm. or the replicants. Um, you know, he is this godlike figure and he, you know, gives life and, you know, all the implications of that. And uh, what it, I mean, I, and I'll actually talk about that with our top picks. We actually picked some, some top picks of uh, three films each or three, sorry, not three films, three various medias that are influenced by, by Blade Runner a little bit later on. But um, I definitely just kept coming to mind that sense of the pyramid and he is mm-hmm. so far above everybody else. You don't even, I don't think you even think you see a street. Like it's like it just, it, the building's so big and, until the uh, theatrical cuts ending, we do see a street. Well, I'm sorry, I, like in the <laughs> yeah. in the same shot. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, in yeah, the same yeah. shot, you just see the pyramid, and that's it. Like, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. There, it seems like a void um, where the city is below. Uh, 
before we move on to some new topics with the, the new movie, um, some points, uh, anything else you guys wanted to add on that subject? No. <laughs> well, um, so the ending shot of theatrical cut, uh, remind me, is a shot of like this road in these mountains and a car driving along it with Deckard and his uh, love interest in, correct? Yes, and actually... Just a fun fact, you made me think of this. That is actually taken from Stanley Kubrick. I don't yes. know if you, know, you guys were you about I, to say that. I'm so that. sorry. Here, you <laughs> no, take the reins. Fine. Take the reins. Take the reins. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what my co-host was uh, reminded of when I was clarifying that there is that um, they, when they were adding the ending in, in addition to having to bring uh, uh, actors back for voiceover, they had to get footage for the ending, and they didn't have enough money to go out and take a helicopter and film those scenes and so they just kind of borrowed from Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I mean, they owned the footage. They just kind of reused it. I believe they flipped it or something. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I can't exactly remember what they did, but yeah. yeah it's it, it's pretty obvious if you'd watch them back to back. But <laughs> yeah, did some touch-ups, and that's what they used. <laughs> yeah, and I think if I remember correctly, I don't even know. I think Stanley Kubrick just gave it to him. I think oh, yeah. I think he just gave it to Ridley Scott and said, "Hey, like here you go, <laughs> here you go, bud." So, <laughs> <laughs> How does so, that make you feel about it? Um, you know, I I think it reinforces the idea that, to no surprise, they did a final cut and a director's cut. Yeah. I think it was very much apparent. I mean, Ridley Scott was so. I think that was his third film. I could be wrong. I think it was. Uh, I, the Duelists, uh, Alien, and then Blade Runner. I think that was his third film. I, he was a young director. You know, he has the studio bearing down his neck. It yeah, doesn't surprise me. You know, yeah. it's um, you know they said no, that that won't fly. You know, because at this point, sci-fi, what what it was it was Star Wars. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was there was it had to have a happy ending. You know, it it wasn't. I mean, I guess they had what at that time had they had Empire Strikes Back yet. I think it was Star Wars 1 was 76, and then I want to say 80 was Empire Strikes Back. So maybe they had that unhappy ending, you know, of, of Han being taken. But still, you know, uh, I uh, which is kind of weird. That's Harrison Ford. Well, <laughs> there, there's a very different thing uh, for what audience audiences want and expect and critics want and expect. Um, Preach audi- it. <laughs> audiences in general, in mass want to go to the theater to escape depressing reality and have a good time, you know? Like, people who go back and watch these movies afterwards are often going because they know they have these artistic meanings, which is good and great, and movies should have them, but it's no surprise that studios try to move it towards a more audience-friendly approach. Right. I mean, you know, in their minds, I think they just see dollar signs. You know, they they, yeah. they want to see the, the well, and, and to quote our courses, I'm so sorry for being that guy, but it's a classical Hollywood ending, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the happy ending. We've had it all. Th- we've had this idea driven into our minds time and time again through our film and media courses. But, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, that's a very real thing, um, you know, the happy ending. And unfortunately, it kind of mm-hmm. took away from the original idea. Have you guys, uh, do you guys know anything about the production, like the actual shooting of the film? Uh, the original no, or the new I one? Know. The the original. Um, not too much. I actually did have to write a, I hate involving school in our sh- in our show, but I had to write a paper over it. Um, so briefly, I know they very much focused, when he was designing the worlds, before he focused on the script, he was focusing on the look of the world, but other than that, not too much. What did you have a- in mind? Apparently, it was a horrible shoot. Like, everybody was miserable. 
and uh just it kind of like I, I always wonder when i watch blade runner if that like kind of misery added to like the dark tone of the acting in the film you, i love that point yeah. i never thought about that yeah you can you can probably see it in harrison ford's uh acting <laughs> in the movie. especially i think that might it's be, just resting face that yeah. might be one of the reasons why harrison ford was grumpy old harrison ford was so willing to come back to deckard because <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't have to act as much for yeah, it. <laughs> it was apparently, you know, super, it was in New York, so it was cold and it, it was rainy and they had to wait around a lot for the rain to stop and mm-hmm. such. But, and know. it just, yeah, I mean, I think it totally added to the bleakness of yeah. their existence, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think there was truly, even the relieving quote unquote happy moments, I feel like were never truly, you know, ecstatically happy. So, yeah, uh, so yeah I love that point. I never thought about that. Yeah. Um, cool. So just for time's sake, I'll kind of move on. I did want to touch some points on your guys' thoughts of the new Blade Runner. None of us have seen it yet, as a reminder. Um, what do you guys think? We already talked briefly about the director. Uh, I'm s- terrible at pronouncing his name. He is French. Uh, Eric, will you help me out here? Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Thank you so much. Um, he, uh, for those of you who know, have seen him, uh, he did Prisoners uh, back in, I want to say, 2012 with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Sicario, and also Arrival. Um, he was Oscar-nominated for Arrival uh, for Best Picture, and I want to say Best Director, too. Uh, but this man, I mean, he's incredible. I'm so excited. Uh, we, like, we, like I said, we talked about it earlier, so we won't talk about it too much now, but he is slated, I don't know if you guys know this, to helm a Doom uh, a Dune, sorry, not Doom. Dune. A Dune, <laughs> D-U-N-E, uh, reboot uh, with actually uh, David Lynch did one back in the 80s and it's considered a terrible movie and they kind of swept under the rug. Oops. But yeah, uh, but <laughs> if anyone can do it now, I mean, what do you guys think? Can he do it? I mean, I think uh, I think he is the right guy for sci-fi. Seriously. After seeing Arrival, I was like, okay, th- this is great. And then when I saw, saw that he was slated for uh, Blade Runner, I was like, this is absolutely perfect. Just like with his style, it, it fits sci-fi pretty well. I just hope he wants to do sci-fi for the rest <laughs> of his career. Yeah, yeah. Can I we, don't think he will, though. Can we just give a sh- major shout-out to Roger Deakins being the cinematographer for this film? If you guys aren't familiar with him, Oscar nominated oh, 13 God. times. Yeah. The dude is a yeah. madman. Um, he's done, I mean, he's worked on, honestly, a movie, if you love it, he's probably worked on it. He's worked on uh, Shawshank Redemption, No Country for Old Men, Skyfall, the list goes on. The guy is a master at his craft, works a lot with the Coen brothers. Roger Deakins just knows how to frame a shot, dude. Yeah. Did, did he do uh, There Will Be Blood? I don't, I you know, I actually don't know, to be honest. Uh, he might have. We could research that. So. Um, I tried to keep my list short <laughs> when I was referencing, but uh, no, Roger Deakins, he's an elderly uh, gentleman, but he is a beautiful, beautiful piece of work when it comes to filming and, and framing. So, While we're on the topic of uh, other crew, like major crew besides for the director with these movies, uh, I thought uh, it best to mention that one of the things a lot of people were worried about with Blade Runner 2049 is the music, actually. The music right. from the original was composed by Vangelis, and yes. it is a beloved soundtrack. And one of the reasons uh, people like it for the movie so much is the way it was composed, actually. Uh, I was reading about this. They composed, Vangelis composed it by watching through the scenes as they left the editing room, and then just playing the emotions he felt after watching the scene. Wow. That's and awesome. so the music itself tells, doesn't just echo the story that it's telling, but has its own 
feeling and emotions to it that really are built in with the wonderful sound design in the movie as well. And a lot of people were afraid that they would just take the themes that were used in the original and repeat them over and over again in the new one. And I don't know if that's what they did, but a lot of people were hoping that they would be able to somehow mesh that same kind of semi-improvisational emotion into the new soundtrack. Right, and Hans Zimmer scoring this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you might be familiar with his name. He's everywhere like Roger Deakins. <laughs> um, Dynamite, dude. He, uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone can do it, I'm sure he can. Yeah. Um, based off the uh, preview, the trailer music, I always would turn it up as loud as I could because that <laughs> Roger Deakins cinematography and that Hans Zimmer score, I just would, you know, I would nerd out. So... I'm oh, so excited. Going back to There Will Be Blood, yes, he did do it. He did do yes. it. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. He, yeah. The guy knows how to capture a landscape, and you can see that in Sicario. Yeah. Holy cow. Jeez. He knows how to frame a shot. So for time's sake, we did want to move on uh, to, like I said, we have three uh, forms of media that we felt were our favorites when it came to being uh, influenced mm-hmm. by Blade Runner. Um, anyone want to start us off? Any volunteers? Uh, well, I can start us off. Um, <clears throat> one that's less influenced visually more thematically uh, David Cronenberg's Videodrome I actually have not seen that it's a bizarre movie if you watch it it's in Uh, my it's next in my media class but (laughs) it focuses a lot on the same themes of what is it really to be a real human versus Mm -hmm. the representation of a human and Videodrome takes that very literally with its uh, TV metaphors and imagery. (laughs) Uh, But it's the same kind of thing that uh, Blade Runner was trying to explore with its replicants. And I have no doubt that they're based on similar source material. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's David Cronenberg. For those unaware, he's a Canadian director. He did The Fly. He did uh, Scanners. He's done a whole bunch of Canadian horror, horror films. <laughs> yeah, uh, interesting. Uh, if you guys haven't seen his films, very interesting visuals. Yeah. <laughs> For a lot of the century, he has defined Canadian films in general because yeah. they don't really come over to America all that often. And Cronenberg was one of the examples that was really able to push through from Canada rather than the other way around. Gotcha. <laughs> but anyway. All right, excellent choice. What do you got, Eric? Well, I was going to do um, Akira. Uh, have you guys seen Akira? I have, have seen, not. going back to my show the other day when we talked about anime, I've seen like the first 20 minutes of it. <laughs> so. Well, you know, I'm a huge weeaboo, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, chose Akira. It was made in 1988 by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo. And basically it's about a young kid in a motorcycle gang who feels inadequate. And then uh, all of a sudden a freak accident happens and certain technologies enhance him uh, and he gains uh, telekinesis. And so it's like, it's, it's about the effect of technology on people who feel inadequate. And it, it's that power, like he takes that power and he becomes this monster. And so it's, I just think it's a really interesting take on cyberpunk because Mm -hmm. the mixture of technology with this, this human really just causes a huge catastrophe. And uh, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I I know. I love that. I, uh, from what I've seen, I'm definitely familiar with what you're saying. And I mean, I actually talk about that in one of my points too, like the mixture of science and I, I said kind of magic, but you're right. Kind of this human element going science beyond 
like you know the, the chemistry labs and whatnot. It's like you mm-hmm. have abilities thanks to science. So yeah. yeah. Um, for my pick, uh, I picked uh, Looper from Ryan Johnson, mm-hmm. the writer director of the next Star Wars film, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt film, uh, excellent movie, 2012, a couple years ago. Um, but I picked it uh, for a couple of reasons. I'll, I'll go through them kind of quickly. But uh, it's again kind of like Blade Runner: A Dark, uh, somewhat dystopian future. There's law, but you never really see it. Um, and and if there is law, it's always violent. Um, there's there's not a whole lot of presence of authority. It's all the underbelly, you know, of the society and focusing on that. Um, and also, this was my example too, is kind of the technology. And I, I said magic. I could probably find a better word for that. Maybe like humanity or blurred. Uh, via the creation of life and androids and Blade Runner and the uh, psychic abilities of characters and, and society as a whole in Looper. The, mo- the whole movie is not based around it, but it just as a result of humans in evolving um, humans take on this ability to, to have psychic abilities. So it's yeah. kind of this kind of this line being blurred between humanity and this so-called scientific magic you know, realm. So that was mine was Looper. What do you got for number two? Okay, well, my second choice is the Matrix movies, actually. Yeah. Um, not only the first one. The first one does take a lot of its themes of what is re- real, what isn't, from that same co- sort of hyper-reality of, um, that Blade Runner explores as well. But even um, closer to the end of the trilogy, a little bit of spoilers if you actually want to watch it but um, the end of the Matrix really starts to question whether it really should be an us versus them kind of robot human distinction and what is there really a difference between these robot programs and us humans Um, and it might not have done it the best but it definitely picked that idea straight out of Blade Runner's mouth (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean I'd completely agree and again the cyberpunk you know, esque mm-hmm. idea. They, I feel like they even took it a step further with using that lighting to make it. I'll keep it not so film, so you guys can still enjoy it. But like <laughs> to make it look kind of green and pale, and you know, sickly, uh-huh. and you know, that cyberpunk idea of not, you know, this un- unrest society. So yeah, yeah. it's um, it's definitely the Matrix has a same sort of cyberpunk aesthetic at times, but there is a big difference in that the Blade Runner movie is a very grounded sci-fi movie compared to movies like The Matrix, which are much more over-the-top, extreme. Mm -hmm. You know they don't really feel as real as other movie kind of things, but Blade Runner feels scare eerily real, you know? Sure. I mean, it's a plausible, you know... It's a plausible future. Yeah, yeah, I I would say so, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um... Cool. All right. Is uh, Eric, is it your turn? Yeah. So my number two is actually a book. Um, it's called Neuromancer by William Gibson, written in 1984. And this book actually coined the term cyberpunk and the term The Matrix. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically it's about <laughs> this. G- I think you win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's a uh, – th- oh, wait. What, what am I saying? All right. It's about this guy named Case, and he's basically this, like, hacker, this underground hacker – that uh, works for like certain like mafia groups and like underground organizations, and he goes into uh, this like cyber reality called the Matrix with his mind. He jacks in, and uh, so he does that. He, he's kind of like he just gets information. He you know in, in incepts things and he steals information. Yeah, and so basically uh, he uh, one of the organizations he's working for he turns on for money. 
and uh, he's punished severely and is given a drug that fries his neurons so he may never dive in again. And that's basically the beginning of the book. And it is awesome. So you said he works for a corporation? No, he works oh. for underground organizations. Oh, organization. Like, I like gangs, mm-hmm. basically. Gotcha. Yeah. Again, Sounds cool. Again, yeah. the, the dark underbelly of society. Yeah. yeah, and it takes place in a very similar like uh, society uh, to Blade Runner. It's very, like, it. the book starts out in Japan. So it's like this mm-hmm. huge, like, cyberpunk metropolis. It's gritty. It's also still multicultural, even though it takes place in Japan. And it's very much reminiscent of Blade Runner. I think so. one of the things that Blade Runner influenced with a lot of sci-fi movies later on is that it really introduced crime to sci-fi. Because crime before at least Blade Runner and a lot of movies that followed it was really a film noir thing. Like, you didn't really see the prevalence and overwhelming sense of there being criminals in yeah. a lot of movies before Blade Runner. And Blade Runner really took that from film noir and placed it in a different movie showing that film noir wasn't the only one that could benefit off of this. And now we see it in movies all the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, the crime that was being committed, if you want to look at it in a realistic way, in Star Wars was by Luke. You know, <laughs> by, by Obi-Wan, yeah. you know. Or Ben, <laughs> can I be sorry. Uh, side um, note on Neuromancer, by the oh, way. Yes. One of the coolest female characters I have ever seen in anything. Just... Go read it. Just go read it. Okay. And what's the title one more time in the author? Neuromancer by William Gibson, 1984. Awesome. Okay. Uh, Moving it kind of quickly since we're running out of time. Number two, I picked kind of mainstream, but I picked Inception um, by Christopher Nolan, you know, as influenced uh, by Blade Runner. Uh, I picked it because in my mind, it is a use of a mainstream film to reinforce philosophical ideas in a sci-fi setting. You don't see that very often. You see it in, you know, lower sci-fi. You know, nowadays we have more common sci-fi films but really this is a film that has action in it but is i would say arguably is not an action film um i would say mm-hmm. yeah it's it's based around the philosophy of you know and and i even put as well as far as identity is very important in these films you know where they're you know these replicants these androids and blade runner are are fighting to meet their creator are fighting to have an identity um in Cobb in inception through these dreams and these trips is starting to lose his identity. Um, and his identity is based around his past with his wife and his kids rather than who he is at the moment and providing mm-hmm. for his team. So I think it's, again, the ide- idea of identity and what it means to have an identity is reinforced yeah. in that yeah. movie. It, definitely. I didn't even think about Inception. That's a great yeah. pick. <laughs> great pick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, Josh, what do you got for us? Well, one that I'm pretty sure Eric definitely did think of because I'm looking over at his extras list <laughs> that he was thinking of talking <laughs> about. Um, Ghost in the Shell. Yeah which not only borrowed thematically (laughs) from Blade Runner, well, maybe not from Blade Runner, but from the same Mm -hmm. thematic sources as Blade Runner did, but definitely the animated movie relied heavily on Blade Runner's aesthetic of these huge cities that you see Mm -hmm. from a humanistic point of view. Um, We talked about Ghost in the Shell a couple weeks ago, Um, And one of the things that I don't think I got to praise the original on enough was that all of the shots of the city that we see are from the point of view of a human in the city. Mm. They're not these sweeping camera crane shots that are flying above the walkways and the city streets. 
all the shots in the original animated of the city are from eye level of where people might be, from the windows of buildings where people are. And it really made the city feel lived in and livable. And that's something that I think it took heavily from Blade Runner, where we see most of the city through the eyes of Decker in his car, looking around at the city around him. Which I will say, I think they carried on in the new one, because there are shots of Ryan Gosling, you know, in his car, and I, I can't wait. I, yeah. It looks so much in the I vein. I cannot wait to watch people yeah. sit in a car. <laughs> Roger Deakins filmed it. I'm fine with it. As long know. as there are neon lights in the car, I'm good. Of course. <laughs> All right, Eric, what do you got for number three? Man? So, uh, my uh, number one pick is actually another book. Sorry. Uh, but it's uh, <laughs> it's Ready Player One. Have you guys heard of Ready Player One? I've heard of the Steven Spielberg movie that's coming yes, out. Yes, upcoming movie. I've heard people cannot wait for it. I've never read the book. Yeah, Same. the book is amazing. Okay, So it was written in uh, 2011 by Ernest Cline and basically uh, virtual worlds are now more real than uh, the dystopian reality that plagues the earth. Mm-hmm. Commerce, culture, and lifestyle all take place outside of reality in this program called the Oasis which is a, basically a virtual reality video game and uh, escapism and, dis- and the distortion of one's own identity play a heavy role. So basically this kid um yeah so every in in this world like the world it okay so the book takes place uh, in OKC actually uh, oh wow yeah <laughs> it starts out in OKC what a dumb yeah and uh <laughs> and it's so uh overpopulated that they have stacks of RVs on top of each other just towers of RVs and the world is just crap and mm-hmm. uh everybody's just trying to escape in the oasis and it it met like people don't really identify with their real bodies anymore. Mm-hmm. They identify with their character in the game. And it's just really interesting if you get around to reading it. It's amazing. That's exactly that idea of hyper-reality yeah. that yeah. Josh well, was talking about. Well, okay. One of the things that a lot of movies who do study hyper-reality in them is that kind of they get wrong from the person who thought of who came up with the idea of hyper-reality originally is that the idea of hyperreality relies on the reality being invisible and not seeable by uh, the characters in it. Um, that's one of the things that uh, is criticized at the original Matrix movie, actually, is that the idea of the hyperreality being more real than the reality only works when you only see the hyperreality. Mm-hmm. And so it has become the representation of reality in mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that yeah, it yeah. wasn't based off that yeah. idea. Just thought yeah, I'd bring that up. Yeah, it takes <laughs> it and kind of warps it in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can't wait. Like like uh, Josh said, it's a movie slated, directed by Steven Spielberg. It has, um, oh, I forget his name. His first name's Ty. But it also has uh, Mark Rylance in it, who's in Dunkirk, and he also won an Oscar for Bridge of Spies. So, yeah, I mean, I can't wait. Um, yeah. I'm really excited. And it's, it's a really big – It's. I mean, this is cliche, but it's a love letter to uh, 80s culture the whole oh, time. Because yes. the guy who created the Oasis is, I, grew I up in the 80s. I don't know if that's popular right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, right? <laughs> all right, before we get to our last segment, I'm going to ha- have my number three or number one, as you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the film Ex Machina, did either of you ever see this movie? No, no I didn't, oh, but it's I've amazing. It's amazing. Uh, Alex Garland oh, yeah. uh, wrote okay. and directed this film. He also he got famous for writing for Danny Boyle. He wrote uh, the original script for... Um, uh, 28 Days Later, 
uh-huh. kind of the resurgence of the zombie films into modern society. Um, but he also wrote The Beach, and he's written, he's worked a lot with Danny Boyle. Alex Garland is awesome, and I believe it was his directorial debut. I could be wrong, but it is a beautiful movie. Um, it has three main characters in it. I think a cast of maybe five. Uh-huh. Uh, it's super limited. Dama Ogleason, uh, Alicia Vikander, and Oscar Isaac, who I love Oscar Isaac. Um, it's, it's a movie, for those unaware, I'll just do the synopsis real quick because it's a lesser known. A young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the qualities of, of a breathtaking humanoid AI. Mm-hmm. So there's a female... Uh, Oscar Isaac has created. He's like his billionaire, like head of quote unquote, you know, Facebook. It's not Facebook, but he's you know he's a CEO type that has more money than he can count. Mm-hmm. He's reclusive, and he has created this female AI um, who he wants. Uh, one of his employees wins a, wins a bet or wins a lottery and gets to come to where he lives and perform tests on this AI to see whether she actually is human or not. Um, the movie is could be seen as slow for some people because there's not a lot of action. There's only three main characters. Uh-huh. The dialogue is amazing. The shots are beautiful, and it is really an in-depth look into what is life, what is yeah. humans, um, the the importance of choice, uh, you know, and, and kind of go along with Blade Runner as well. Not yeah. only the replicant idea, but the uh, importance of choice with Ava, who's Alicia Vikander's character, the AI, and then also um, Rachel, who's Sean Young's character in Blade Runner. So it's, it's a movie about choice, uh, the implications of creating life with time from Blade Runner and Nathan mm. from Ex Machina. I cannot recommend this movie enough and also an idea that kind of explores nature versus technology. Uh, can I talk about like the overarching thing of theme of identity real quick before we move on? Uh, yeah, we have a couple minutes left. Yeah. I'm sure we can. I, I just wanted to say that I think this idea of identity and like what makes uh, people like who they are is mm-hmm. really important right now, especially like with Blade Runner 2049 coming out because I mean, we see like, you know, race politics and, you know, sexuality politics coming up all the time Mm -hmm. nowadays. And I think it's really important for people to think about what makes you who you are at like as a person. And I think like cyberpunk like this, it really ties into that well. Yeah, I think that uh, I don't know how much the audience or you guys uh, know about the postmodernism in film. But Blade Runner definitely has elements of the postmodern in it. studying duality of uh, human existence about yeah. what we're expected to be versus what yeah. we are and you know stuff like that um, I just want to throw that in real quick so <laughs> sure yeah no by all means a quick ending so since, yeah. since we're running out of time uh, our show was about Blade Runner it was about choices mm-hmm. about humanity about the future about the past um I, I frankly was so excited for this show. Uh, so Blade Runner 2049 is in theaters. Uh, I think we're all going to go see it as fast as we can. Um, yeah, yeah. Very quickly, uh, what can you not put down this week? Our recurring segment of things that we love that are going on in our life, whether it's an old movie, whether it's a new book. Uh, Josh, what's something you got going on that you just can't stop thinking about? Uh, well, I listen to a lot of music. And that's really all I've had time to listen to new this week. Um, I've been listening to this, uh, I believe, Swedish band, but they sing in English, um, Kings of Convenience. Uh, They're a little bit older. Uh, They make very soft, sweet, folksy melodies, uh, and they have about two vocalists singing at all times. Um, I've been listening to their first album a lot this week, uh, Quiet is the New Loud. Uh, It's really good. It's just one of the most relaxing, happy music bands I've found and I enjoy them quite a bit. Very neat. All right, Eric, what do you got going on? What can you not put down? Well, I got my hands on a Super Nintendo Classic and uh, <laughs> man, I, saw, I, oh no. am, I love it. I am just 
enjoying it all day. Your poor midterms. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, he's not. He's graduated, <laughs> man. Oh, he's got. He's yeah. got nothing to worry about. So <laughs> yeah, got lucky. Been playing Donkey Kong. All mm-hmm. those classic '90s Nintendo games. It's sure. Great. So uh, for my uh, thing, I can't put down um, very briefly. Uh, it's a YouTube series called Cinefix. It's is the channel. Um, oh yes, it is. It's been around for a while, but it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they it's, are really good. It's, it's not always top ten, but it's a countdown channel that explores mm-hmm. you know the best actor portrayals, the best shots in film, the most intense shots in film. You know, I mean, it just explores. It picks a theme and it dives into it, and I feel like they know what they're talking about, and I, I can know. just binge it. I don't know if you've seen on their channel. One of my favorite video series they have on their channel is. What's the difference? Where they look at a movie and then the source material the movie was mm. based on oh, and cool. go through the story and thematic differences. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, yeah so uh, Cinefix, uh, check it out if you guys like film. It's just it's a film lover's paradise. All right, well that about wraps us up for this week. Uh, like Goodbye. I said, we took a week off. We appreciate your patience. Um, I believe some streaming uh, issues again today, so hopefully we're going to try to get this uh, copy to us and get it recorded and get it put up for you guys. But uh, thank you so much for joining us this week. We are Pop Culture Water Cooler. You can find us both on Facebook and Twitter at at PopCultureWC. Um, also, we are here every Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. at KXOU. You can listen at kxou.ou.edu and tune an app when it's wanting to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eric and Josh, it's always a pleasure. Any, any uh, last words? Well, thank you, and I'll see you guys thank next you week. For listening. Yeah. All right, you guys have a good week, and I'll, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya. Definitely. Oh my God! I'm back. I'm home. All the time. Finally, we did it. Please check out our website, www.astoundingoutpost.com, where you will find short stories published each weekday, Uh, themed each month in the pulp variety. Uh, Also, we we have Friday Night Freak Show where we show different B-movies every Friday. And also, please check out the Astounding Store.